Welcome to the Somewhat to Say podcast. I'm Chip Nill, pastor in Eastern Washington, father of four, happily married, and I'm glad to be here. I'm Justin Heineke. Um, I've uh, lived in Eastern Washington half my life. Um, I've got a degree in uh, from Gonzaga in English and a master's from Bemidji State in English, and I am also uh, married with a father of four. And what would you say the purpose behind this podcast is i think within christian circles and especially believers they feel like there's a sense of uh obstacles in talking about a lot of subjects within their faith communities within their churches and with other believers and certain things that people just don't discuss candidly and i think that we ought to as believers have honest discussions about anything any faith should be able to be explored and any subject should be able to be explored through the lens of God and the Bible. And so I'm excited to do that. Yeah, and um, there's a lot of issues. I've talked with coworkers, for instance, that um, that um, have could have biblical aspects. And I've always wanted to have the answers for that. And I think that I feel like this will be a way to explore the answers with that uh, about that without having to um, sound stilted. So I'm looking forward to this. You're not gonna like me. Why? Guess what I did? What? Had the mics on mute until now. No, so nothing's been heard. It's all over. I'm so sorry. <laughs> 25 minutes, well, 20 minutes of talking, and I had it on mute. It was all, it was all, um, practice. I'm so sorry. <laughs> okay, so. I frustrate myself and disappoint myself at the same time on a daily basis. <laughs> and we started now. Yeah. So we're, we're good now. We're good now. We should start over right now. Probably. <laughs> Hey, you know what, folks? Welcome to the Somewhat to Say podcast. I'm Pastor Chip Nell. And I'm the comic relief, Justin Heineke. Don't take me seriously at all. That was a great, like, Eeyore-ish, you know, introduction. It's funny you should say that, because that's... There's someone in my family that uh, leaves very Eeyore-type messages on, on voicemail. Yeah? Yeah. And, uh, uh, anyway, yeah, that was a screw up on my part. Uh, I had the mics on mute for like 20 minutes. So people are watching on Twitch. Sorry about that. If you're watching. Nobody needed to know. We could have just said we were mouthing words and warming up the face muscles, you know. That's true. But. Nobody needed to know. I know. But I got to hold myself accountable. All right. All right. <laughs> So, today... I'll just beat myself later, like a good oh, yeah. former, or like a good Catholic lineage boy. The old, the old Catholic style. Yeah. So. Flogging. Self, self, uh... Legend. What is the word? I don't know. It's not, it's not mutilation, right? No. It's, it's not flogging. It's something with that. Well, John? No, that's not it. Flagellation instead of flatulation. <laughs> I mean, the words are court. 
Yeah, one's doing it to yourself, one's doing it to others. <laughs> yes, I don't know. Well, that's not the point, Mark. <laughs> uh, yeah, it could be. So today, TV, yeah, movies, music, music, video games, video games, again. <laughs> I don't know. magazines. That's an interesting one. I don't know if people still read magazines. They're still in the grocery stores. They are. I don't know why, but they're there. Well, they're there to entertain you while you're checking out. YouTubes. Oh, boy. TikToking. TikTok. I thought about doing a TikTok for there you go. church or something. Let's do, let's do this podcast on TikTok. One minute sections only. Yeah. A hundred of them. Just string together. You could live stream on TikTok. I saw that, yeah. Was that an infinite amount of time you can do? Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, it's the up-and-coming platform, right? For what reason? I don't know. What's well, the thing? It's Like, Vines was the same thing, wasn't it? And it didn't make but, it. Yeah, but Vines was, I don't know, it didn't have as much splash. I think because it was so early, that's why it's not they here now. Ready. Yeah. They weren't ready to make very short videos for no reason at all. <laughs> No, they are. There's people out there that are millionaires because... That's crazy. Because they wear pants so tight you can That's tell whether or not they have underwear on. And then they shake whatever for a minute. Yeah. And... They'll probably be less profitable than me. Yeah, me too. I don't think I'm going to give it a try. No, not at all. Well... I, I did make short little video game clips and put on there. Oh, yeah. Some of them got seen by a couple hundred people, which is nothing. Right. Because this guy made a clip where he got yeeted somehow. That's the thing. He's saying yeeted. Yeeted, yeah. Yeah, which is like destroyed, basically. Or, you know, something super bad happened and you were yeeted. Your I stream it was. was... Like thrown. Yeah, well, you know, like, like you were wrecked. Get wrecked. You heard that? Yeah. It's basically something like that. You were yeeted. So that's another one. You know, they're both okay. being kind of the same thing. Okay. So he was like yeeted off, off the... There's marbles on on Steam or on stream where you basically have this track that people build. It's open source stuff. And you can race marbles against how many ever people are in your Twitch stream. Okay. And uh, it's, it's all an RNG thing, which is completely yeah. random. So... So you watch the marble go by with your name on top, and you sometimes you know you go down. There's little traps or little things that speed you up, and sometimes you get kicked way off, and something super weird happened to his, and his reaction combined with the way he presented the video, got him like several like over half a million views. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, and uh, and you know it's a game that nobody plays. Well, they they play it, but. It has like 500 views all on its own, like yeah. on a daily thing, which is nothing on Twitch for a game. And uh, so he he's getting pretty big on TikTok, but he's still kind of a failure as a as an individual almost. Wow, wow. harsh words for this man. Well, all right, <laughs> I mean, we could get into this guy, I guess. But let's see, he he has. Like two master's degrees and all this stuff, and he basically set himself up to be uh, in sports psychology slash uh, 
uh, not training, what's the word, physical therapy, sports oh, yeah, psychology yeah. stuff. And he was kind of a rep, too. And he, uh, so he had all this, all these degrees, all this training for this. And he gets involved with an office person. And so they're working there while they're having a relationship and get engaged. And something goes really bad there at the office. And they talk about quitting together. And they're like, yeah, let's do it. So he quit and she refused and they broke up. Wow. Yeah. I mean, totally. He's the anti-Jerry Maguire. Yeah. Oh, he had a kid from a previous relationship. And this all happened. It's the reverse Jerry Maguire. Well, kind of. <laughs> yeah, he, and this all. He's the Renee Zellweger. Well, he's so, he tries to be super positive, like, you know, like over abundantly so. Yeah. But then he's like a sad sack at the same time. Sees this because this would crush him. Sorry, sir. No, I think you made a great video with your marbles. I never saw it. No, it was it was funny. Apparently, people liked it. <laughs> but he talks about how much stuff's going on wrong in his life, and he he decided he was going to go stream full time when Mixer was around. Okay. Yeah. And he was making more than enough money to live on, so he signed a lease to at an apartment that was closer to where his son was. A month later, Mixer shut down without warning and kicked everyone off. Yeah. So he's tried to rebuild everything on Twitch, and he's doing well, but not as well as he needs. And so he's having to move. He's having to get out, get out of his lease and move in with a parent or something farther away from his kid. And I don't know. Everything's like a mess for him right now. And he's been trying to work, like delivering food on Postmates or something. And yeah. Doing this at the same time for his job. He's just. I feel like it's a very dangerous temptation for people in our generation. Right to try now. to try to make their life revolve around social media. Right. Yeah. Like I talk to a lot of young people who are. I mean, I, this is a thing that's only now recently a dream when you talk to young people, and probably the most popular thing people want to be when they grow up is how long be a YouTuber. Well, my channel's doing well enough to where I can get subscribers. Yeah. And in the first month, I know it's not going to be... You can, the minimum payout you can get is when your payout reaches 100 bucks. Okay. They won't send you anything smaller. Makes sense. Right. You can set it higher, but you can't set it lower than 100 I think I'm at a little over $70. Okay. For the first month, which is not bad. I mean... And it's gonna, it could get better, but I think it's gonna be a lot worse next month because some people were just nice. Okay. <laughs> you know, oh look, he got his first channel. Let's subscribe. Right. So it's kind of interesting. Um, I get ad revenue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, I don't try not to pay attention to that because that's not what's supposed to be important. But yeah, it's easy to. I don't take it too seriously, but if I play a video game, I'm streaming because I thought, well, why not? Because there's always right. potential there. See, me, if I'm playing a video game, it's not. I'm, I don't want to be working while I'm doing it. That's the whole point. Well, see, that's, yeah. I, I, I the only thing I got to do better is to, you know, there's like a second monitor and I'm like, there's chat on there. And sometimes I have a little, well, I'm kind of. I guess I am maybe slightly autistic or something, but I get zoned in to where nothing else registers. Oh, yeah. And sometimes it's so bad. 
and that, that I'll, I've been trying to get myself out of the moment more to look over and it's hard but uh, and I miss somebody almost every night uh, yeah yeah but it's still if I'm gonna relax and play video games I'm like well I might as well do something where maybe I'll make some money at it eventually so I've been doing that while I've been playing video games the last few months yeah and maybe that would just not be my in my skill set Oh, thing. that's not true at all. Because, well, most of, if I'm by myself, I'm, I'm all up here. Nothing's happening. Oh. I might as well be dead. I, so if I'm playing video games, I'm relaxing. It is stoic. There is no facial reaction. I'm having, I got nothing. I tell you, I'm so much the same way. But if someone's there in chat and they're talking a lot, and I can, you know, before I get zoned in like that. Right. It's really, it's a little like this, you know, a back and forth. When I yeah. can get that, it's, I'm, I'm pretty good. I mean, you would be good too. I mean, I think you, you have know. a personality that would be good at it, I think. Maybe I'll try it someday. Maybe. Uh, you know, just for practice. Yeah. This has been pretty decent practice for um, getting used to talking a lot. As a pastor, I talk. Constantly, anyway. yeah, I know. Yeah, well, let's see, that's another reason why you'd probably be good at it. It's pretty much 90% of my job. There's a lot of pastors on Twitch, really, yeah, or I'm former pastors. pastors network here, like that preacher guy, former pastors. He's a former pastor, but there's another guy that so I, I told fired you. from this Twitch. That's my you're gonna get fired my next. <laughs> you realize how bad. <laughs> I mean, seriously. It's, I mean, it is kind of a, everything's like on the up and up now, right now, but uh, I think, uh, I don't think anyone's looking to come to CELA. What? <laughs> and, the, and the demographic for the church is uh, not a desirable one, I think, for the majority of people here. So, uh, I think you're safe for a while. <laughs> You'd have to do something rather, I don't know, say we're going non-denominational or, or we're going to put New Age well, Baptists on the sign. We are non-denominational. What? Bible Baptist Church of Sela. Mm -hmm. But, well, a little, little Baptist history portion of the podcast here independent baptists would consider themselves not a part of a denomination that's the point of being independent but you can't say that sure you can i can say that no i mean i can say that sunday morning i get up and i can say we are not a we are we're non-denominational we're not a part of a denomination but that might be true in fact but put in the practice they'll say we're baptists yes to many and it does sometimes become a semantics issue because to many, there is a connection to the name Baptist. You can't say non-denominational. As if it is a denomination. I would bet you would have people mad at you in 95% of the independent Baptist churches out there if you got up and said non-denominational. That's what we are. If I said it that way, you're probably right. But it's interesting because if I said, hey, I'm, non I'm part of a non-denominational church, you're right, I'd probably be but <laughs> if I said I am a Baptist and we are not a part of a denomination, we are independent. That is different. I would be because you've 
declared yourself Baptist. Right. First. Right. Then if you said all that other stuff, they're like, that's right. But if you said it the other way around, you'd be tarred and feathered. Right. You'd see, you'd look up and see people with lighting torches and holding a pitchfork all of a sudden. You'd be like, where'd you get that from? It's in a kit in the back. Right. <laughs> Maybe that's a good thing to talk about on one, one podcast is just this this uh, obsession with the name Baptist that across the whole of church history is, is recent. It's just a sliver of the New Testament church's history is tied to Baptist churches, you know, and it's very, very possible that years from now, the Baptist church is not the church you would want to identify with, and true churches are called by something else. Mm. Yeah. But we're in the end days, right? Where we've been in the end days since, you know, Jesus ascended. I know. I keep telling mom that every time she would bring that up. Um, I'd say, yeah, Peter and all of them thought they were in the end days too. Yeah. Like, but I think that's the point. I think that's good. Yeah? I think everybody should think they're in the end days. I think that's why the Bible articulates it the way that it does. But... If you're living for that time to come, isn't that missing the point too, though? No, I think not. I think no, I meant for. I mean, you're waiting for that event. That just seems like you're living for the future instead of doing something about the now. Because a lot of people kind of miss that, right? I can see that, yeah, and I agree. But I think the converse is is as well imbalanced to say I'm living for today and I'm not thinking about then, because that's the statement that Jesus made. He says, don't you know that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night? You're going to want to be ready. Watch. Be vigilant. Be ready. I know, but don't be so obsessed about it that you miss today. Right. What was that saying that Turtle and Kung Fu Panda said? About, uh... <laughs> when the past is past, the future is future. Today is a gift. That's why it's called the present. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, something like that. I just, I think that, uh, yeah, today is a gift, and you should treat it as such, right? And uh, I think while while having a mind, while having an eye towards the future, I mean, just don't be so obsessed with it that you're going to miss out on the little things that come by now. I think that's a, we're way off what we were going to talk about, but I think that's a misnomer to say that you would miss out on the present by focusing on, what God would have for you in being prepared for his return, I would say those are not exclusive events. It's not one or the other. Some people treat it that way, though. I would say this. If you are living your Christianity in such a way that following Christ means you're missing out on what is enjoyable and beautiful and wonderful about life, you're doing it wrong. Oh, I totally agree. But I think that I think that some people try treat that as it's as an exclusive thing. Yeah. And I think that's more common than than one might realize. Yeah. Because there's so some people that do the self flagellations. Well, yeah. Well, it's it's a different version of it. It is. It really is. Because some exactly people are you know are sacrificing themselves and what they're doing, their lives now so much for laying up these treasures in heaven. I mean, I, I just think. Right. 
you're making that a different kind of idol, man. I mean, right? Because <laughs> I think I think people that say that all the time, you know, well, you're getting the crown in heaven, you're getting this and that, and it's like, you know, that's a point. Yes, that's what Jesus said. But if you if you're doing it for the sake of the reward, isn't that wrong too? I don't necessarily so much so. think so, but I think it's I think it's improper to assume because I'm suffering, therefore I'm rewarded. And but, in order to be rewarded means I have to suffer. But they're not going to say that out loud, and right. they're gonna you know, and they're gonna list that as their reasons for doing things, like well, I'm getting a crown in heaven for this yeah. and doing that. You're, you can too if you do this. And it's like, well, yeah, that's all true and everything, but shouldn't you be doing it for the sake of doing it? Yes, but I, I, I mean, God gave us the information that we would be rewarded. So for him to turn around and go, but don't do it for the reward, is kind of... Wasn't that under, part of the understated tones of the message, though? I don't think so. Because when, when Paul is coming towards the end of his life and he's writing says i've finished my course i've kept the faith henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness he was looking forward to the rewards that he had for his service but he also had that we talked about this not not too long ago either uh saying yeah for me to die would be so much better but i gotta focus on what i'm doing now right but there's people that are doing what they're doing now while focusing on the the other part Right, and I think that's kind of dangerous because that's that's taking. Right, if that's your if that's your sole primary motivation, I agree. Yeah, yeah, because I think you got to care about what you're doing uh, for the sake of doing it at the same time. I think. And if you, if you make it about the reward exclusively, and the viewpoint that if I suffer, therefore I'm rewarded, you get into the things that we're going to talk about today. If I never watch a television show, there's rewards in heaven. If I never listen to a secular song, there's rewards in heaven. You know? There's people, uh, you know, pastors that will say, well, like I said about, we only have black and white TV shows in my house. Yeah. We only listen to hymns, you know, that we sing ourselves. Right. That kind of thing. Like Mark Lowry would be a big no-no. Yeah. And don't even talk about Michael W. Smith. Yeah, you know that's he's he might as well have horns on when he comes on stage for some of these people. Yeah, um, and, you know, and they're like, and they would go into this so much that they have you know they basically take took all of American pop culture and make sure it's not in their house. Yeah, which is I guess I can see that, but at the same time when you go to that extreme. And some of these people have got seven kids that they're doing this to. Yeah. You know, that's not going to end well for, you know, some of those kids are not going to be the adults you want them to be because they've been so repressed, they bounce back the other way. But um, then there were people, when they mentioned this in church, they'd be like, do you have a TV? Yeah. You sinner. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, I thought, well, what's really the point of that? I mean, sure, have limits, but my goodness. Yeah, and so for the for the folks at home, what has often been a conservative Christian viewpoint regarding media, television, music, movies, etc., has kind of been, you know, very, very limited 
television watching, only certain things, you know, can't show, you know, all that kind of stuff, only older stuff. Some have gone as far as to say, you know, if you're a member of a church, you can't go to a movie theater. Some have gone as far to say, in terms of music, that anything that's not Christian and also conservative and doesn't use certain beats or certain instruments, anything outside of that would be inappropriate and immoral, you know. You described my church growing up. <laughs> that's many churches, many. Well, we had a private school that you had to basically sign a thing saying you wouldn't do all that, right? Yeah. And couldn't even, supposedly you couldn't even rent movies, but my grandma let me rent movies. Yeah. I ended up being able to rent whatever I wanted at this local video store. They never checked my ID. Yeah. Yeah. But um, there was, uh, yeah, there was, and then, you know, this is early 90s. I'm living with my grandma to finish high school at a high school I want to because my family life wasn't the greatest at home, um, except for my brother. I really regret how I treated my brother. But um, it uh, it ended up being, you know, all those things. Like uh, one time this guy heard I was interested in his daughter, so he gave me a lecture on the kind of music he heard I was listening to. Yeah. And I'm like, what? And, you know, and then, yeah, forget about the movies thing. I wasn't allowed to go to the movies, but I could rent them. Yeah. And so, and then we were told if uh, we did our senior skip day in my senior year, that none of us would graduate. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, okay. So we all snuck off to the movie theater and watched oh. the movie. We, we sat in the front row and got down real low just in case anybody was there. Yeah. Yeah. I even remember the movie Maverick. <laughs> the James Garney, uh, Mel Gibson one. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, 1994. I don't remember that being a particularly good movie. I was I, I loved it. it. I lo I enjoyed it. I've always liked westerns. Well, I, didn't, so. I didn't skip school to watch it, so. I, uh, <laughs> well, I don't think we did either. That, I think we that watched, makes movies that much better. We watched it on a Saturday afternoon or something. You know, right after we went to, like Sunday school bus visitation or something like that. I think. Yeah. We might have even been in our school clothes or, you know, clothes we would have worn to church. Yeah. Yeah. So we could, like, hustle back in and look like we were always busy kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, yeah, all of those things. And so, historically, just for uh, context and continuity, a lot of that viewpoint comes from this idea that conservative Christianity from the, the glory age of 1950s, you know, churches, um, when especially independent Baptist churches became bigger and were really on the up and up. Um, and many people glorified that as the, the best time period of church history the for 50s? us, you know, that, that time period of church history. And so, uh, a lot of the issues that they dealt with then are still the issues that are preached about and viewed today as the enemy, as the problem. And so during that wave is when television started to become a little bit more dicey. Certain things started to be introduced, certain things you could say, show, what have you. And they were fighting that as like a moral battle at that time. Music. There was this, you know, rock and roll revolution, and all these different things, and Woodstock, and all these different things. 
that changed what was fairly innocuous songs across the board. Really, you look in the 40s, 50s. Um, I mean, of course, there's exceptions, but for the most part, it's pretty wholesome. Yeah. You know, where you go in 60s, 70s, what was popular is not so wholesome. <laughs> yeah. And then there was Code and all those songs, like Mr. Tambourine Man. And, right. And, uh, you know, and then um, the 70s saw, the late 60s, early 70s saw the knees dance as a metaphor for pretty much anything. Yeah. And it just, yeah, it got kind of wild. Um, and, and so what preachers were preaching about then was how evil this was, and this evil generation, and all of those kinds of things about that. It just kind of has just stayed the constant viewpoint until today. Yeah, and it would just barely evolve with uh, with the technology um, coming in. Right. Like uh, Star Wars. They ended up preaching about Star Wars because they thought Jehovah's Witness um, things about the Force were being put in there, that yep. George Lucas was pushing Jehovah's Witness viewpoints on us. I know many Christians who are anti-Star Wars because of the Force and I know, I mean, there, I've heard more than one oh, pastor yeah. talk about things like Pokemon as being demonology. Um, I heard there were several people, and this one I've never figured out, but several people have made a big deal about any form or showing of crystals. Have you ever heard this thing? Yeah. Make a big deal about that. Well, crystals were... Spirit crystals became a big thing in the 80s. Right. And so I never really figured out, like, what was the specific danger of that. But I remember, like, even inviting people to go see a movie and then be like, yeah, there's crystals in that. I can't. I can't. Well, it's... And not even be like, what? There's, what do you mean there's crystals? I don't even know what you're talking about. Well, that was kind of a, a druid kind of thing was focusing your your energies, right? I mean, that must... I get that. But, but the, there's since, crystals in the world. I know, but there were... Like it's but, a real thing. <laughs> but they would take... But the pot, focusing your energy with the crystal and using that to, you know, control your positive vibe, that became a kind of a big... It was, yeah. ...mainstream thing in the 80s. And I think they... Their inability to keep things in context while they're railing against everything evil... Yeah. Um just spilled over into so much stuff. And that's why you probably still have people to this day that's never seen that dark crystal or whatever. Yeah. Because of that. I would say don't watch it because it's dumb. But that's my opinion. Well, people love it because it's David Bowie, right? And then there was... And then other things. Muppets. Have you ever seen David Bowie and Mick Jagger dance on their skates? No, but I know they... Did some other forms of dancing too. David Bowie, Mick Jagger, song Dancing in the Streets. Watch the music video. You will never see either one of them the same. Well, after hearing what Jerry Hall said about them. <laughs> it is, and I'm not saying this is a derogatory thing, but I'm just saying it's a statement of fact. It is the gayest thing that's not gay that I've ever seen. Well, that would fit with the story I heard from Jerry Hall. Yeah. yeah. So it's probably the same. I bet you it had something to do with that project. It's hilarious. It's hilarious that that was like a cool thing. Really? You look back at it, now you're like, 
I don't know That's if I ever heard weirdest of that, thing I've ever seen in my life. Well, see, that was that shows you how sheltered I was. <laughs> <laughs> I only, I didn't see it in the eighties. I saw it like five years ago. Oh. And maybe that's why I'm way out of the context of. Oh. Maybe if I saw it then, watching it now, I'd be like, "Oh yeah, I remember that was cool." But I just see it now, and I go, "What is happening? Why are you doing that?" Yeah, I, there's a few things like that, isn't there? I'm gonna send you that song later, just so you can feel the pain. Uh, <laughs> great, appreciate that. I just love when people think of me. But this viewpoint of, and from what I've heard preached about. You know, uh, don't watch TV, don't watch movies, don't listen to this music, etc. Comes from a number of scriptures that are used. Uh, maybe to even start off, maybe with just TV, they use Psalms 101:3, where the psalmist says, "I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes." And they just pull that phrase, and they and they make it say, "Hey, anything wicked on television that you are setting your eyes on." breaking this statement you know this one here right and so um, I've heard that and we can dig into all these scriptures I'm not necessarily doing a Bible study but I'm just giving that Lamentations 351 where Jeremiah said mine eye affecteth mine heart and so people say hey what you watch what you let your eyes see is going to affect your heart you know uh-huh. it's just a general statement they point to, and they get four. They point to Philippians 4.8, where it talks about, you know, whatsoever is good and honest and true and lovely and all of these wonderful things. Think on that. In other words, don't view and dwell on that which isn't good. Don't think about it. And then probably more than any of them, beyond even those verses, the viewpoint that really is the overarching theme that controls all of these pieces of media and um, an intake are the many verses that talk about that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Yeah. Love not the world. Neither things that are in the world, nor things that are of the world, remember the Father is not in them. Um, and that statement. And so here is, we just make these broad statements. That's worldly. Once I can put that, that that's worldly stand, that stamp on something, it's it's evil, it's bad, you know, and that's what's been done. Anything that we can just say, hey, label, that's worldly, you know, we just say, make that statement. It's our own version of the sticker they put on TV. Basically, you know. Yeah. We're being, hey, that's worldly, that's worldly, and we do it, we're talking about media specifically today, but people do it with dress, they do it with, I mean, all kinds of things. Right. There's a time in which having a beer was not appropriate for Christians because it was worldly. Well, and you can't certainly can't have it. I, I don't. I we struggle to find a independent Baptist pastor that has a beard. No. Although my my brother-in-law would grow one every once in a while, and I think the guy that replaced him in Bemidji would grow one in the winter. Yeah. But I mean, before that. Yeah, my, my pastor even said, or the one in Fairbanks I had would even say at one point, what are you trying to hide? Yeah. <laughs> or what do you have to hide? <laughs> yeah, right. Like, what? Yeah. Am, I, am I Jim? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, like you were using it to cover what your face. What would you be hiding behind a beard? Well, it's, they, were, they equated it to wearing a mask, right? That's where you got your, your DVDs. <laughs> yeah. 
So, and so that's why it was like, I don't know, pastors with beards. Yeah. And that, that one is weird how all these things kind of start to shift with culture because that's not as big of a deal. Like, that's a very fringe viewpoint now. If you run oh, yeah. across uh, a pastor or, or Christian now who thinks beards are immoral, they're the weird ones now. Well, now he doesn't have a problem with beards. It's if they're not kept up very well. Yeah, yeah. At uh, the Bible college I went to, this is very interesting, they had a rule of no beards. But you could have a mustache. And so think of in, like, we're talking early 2000s, right? You know who else had a mustache? A lot of people. Hitler? Yeah. But Stalin. you couldn't, I don't think you could have that mustache. Maybe. I don't know. Stalin's you could. But think of a bunch of, like, 20-year-olds, right? Their T-shirts are tucked into their pants, because tucking in your shirt was not <laughs> I didn't get that, but that was one of it. You got all these kids, like... You have tw- a bunch of 20-year-old kids with their T-shirts tucked in, and all that they have is these little mustaches. It's a very strange look. <laughs> oh, man. But it's all for the purpose of not being worldly. Right. And so if we were not going to take the time, of course, we could dig into that term worldly and the context in which that's said and what that has to do with stuff um, that really isn't about this subject in general and the way that it's stated in the Bible. He's not talking about the clothes that you wear. Obviously, they didn't have phones or media in the way that we do today. No. So obviously, he's not acutely talking about that. I wonder if they had barns that traveled from town to town like they did in Europe. Of course, in that time period, they had entertainment, forms of entertainment. They're very limited, and and, and usually for the wealthy. They're probably local, too, right? Not, Not a traveling thing from town to town. Probably not in that part of the world. Because I was going to say, I think that sounds like a very European thing. Yeah. But they had, and you can go and study some of the different forms of entertainment that they had, and they told a lot of, especially Jewish people, they told a lot of stories. Oh, yeah. Um, most of, in fact, most of, and we're not, this is a totally different conversation, but if you, talk, if you study demonology at all, most of the demons and their names and their history all come from Jewish folklore. Because they would tell all these stories. You know, and that okay. was most of their form of entertainment, you know. Scare the children into doing good. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Sounds like the Germans. Yeah, every culture did it. Well, yeah. Germans made it an art form. Apparently, scaring children is just a universal human experience. <laughs> we well, love it. It's yeah. too easy and fun. No. Well, it's, <laughs> someone's got to keep them in line. They're not going to listen to us on their own. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that. Yeah, so, um, hmm. centuries. <laughs> <laughs> so the worldly terminology, even to just look at this, we could start dealing with this concept. I don't really want to do a Bible study, but the, the viewpoint that worldliness is tied to forms of media and look and all these different things and has to do with all of this external stuff. It was not at all what was trying to be communicated. This friendship of the world was being tied into the world system and the way that they think and the way that they function and what is important and valuable to them. Because every culture in the world has had a little different value and a little different viewpoints and a little different mindset on what is the ultimate good. 
that is ultimately most important in life. In every single culture, it hasn't been what God proposed us because we're all corrupt. Well, yeah, but they all use their own version of what they took as God from Babel, too, right? I mean, right. Most of these cultures have been centered on some form of a deity. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's why they they said that's why God said there wasn't an excuse for people who haven't heard even because they all, yeah. you know, somebody along the way corrupted their form of God. Right. And that's what it is. It's this corrupted form which changes what is important and what's valuable. So if we look at our culture today, we are, we're, our God in America is is humanism. Oh, man. We are worshipers of us more than anything. I noticed that. And you try to point that out to someone, you know, that basically humanism and atheism is like another religion. And they're like, no, it's not. It's right. the opposite. Do you realize right. your fanaticism says otherwise? <laughs> right. <laughs> And humanism and atheism go together, but still 70-plus percent of our population in this country still say that they are Christian in some form. Yeah. Um, but still, most are humanistic in practice. How many of that 70-some percent, though, don't believe in a hell? Right. Yeah. That's a good like, portion of them, you know. Yeah. So it's just really... But what is the God of our society is, is self. Sure. And so what our society lives for is, and we call it the corporate American dream, you know, mm. make a lot of money, get a lot of stuff, we have the best standard of living, and we are the richest people in the world, and we want more. Right. That's our, that's our culture. You know, that's what we value. That's what's important. So much so that we've come to the place where we value people with education, not because we think their education makes them smarter. That's not even the point. It's because it makes them more successful. We value success. Wish that were true. That it made you more successful. <laughs> I feel like I'm less of a success since I went to school. Right, and so I mean that's where I mean you look at people that haven't gone to school, and yet are successful, and they're still praised just as much. Yeah, like my brother, he didn't go to school. I passed, passed homeschooling in you know the one year of high school he had and he's making really good money working IT at Whitworth yeah so it's and you know like you said they, he's praised for that too nobody's uh, hardly anybody's uh, there's not a lot of people that are out there doing what they love um, regardless of whether it makes them the most successful or not and right. those kind of people aren't talked about a lot and this is a very this is a very deep thought in my opinion um that is beyond our subject matter. But even we talk to kids and we think about this, from the time somebody gets, I mean, they're just entering school, they don't understand anything about the world. They don't know anything. And we tell them, we ask them this question, what do you want to be when you grow up? Mm -hmm. We ask them, what do you want to be as a human being? Right. What do you want your existence to mean? We're asking a six, seven, eight-year-old this question. Yeah. With the overt undertones the understood question being, what do you want to do to make money? Think of how that forms a mind. You know, I, I've always had this connection since I was a kid of, you know, I, know, I found myself worth in what I was doing for a living. Yeah. And that's, I think that's how my dad treated it too. And it was like so ingrained in me that it's like when I, 
performed, I would want to perform well at my job and I wanted to do well. And, but if, I also had this mindset of, I really want to enjoy what I'm doing. And it just kind of struggled with me for so long. Yeah. It's like, uh, it's where I would just get, feel defeated at work. And then I'd have to, I used to work jobs for eight or nine years at a time. And then I just would work a few years and have enough or a year and have enough. Yeah. And, you know, I just, I couldn't hold my dad's mindset for the, my entire life. Right. But yeah, I can, yeah, it's like my, my self-worth is absolutely tied in my job. And it kind of still is because I think that's why I feel down in the dumps all the time. Yeah. And when I mess up, I really feel it, you know, as yeah. evidence <laughs> with pressing those, having the mute on. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, that's why I like to joke around. That's the Catholic in me coming out. Right. <laughs> I've never been Catholic, but my dad's family had yeah. heavy Catholicism. I grew up Catholic. I, <laughs> thank God. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I can understand that. And I think my brother had that too for a while. Well, he had it way less than I did, though. And I think I enjoyed, I think I learned a lot about that from him. He, he would say something like, if you... Uh, gave anybody oh letting anybody affect you like that I forget exactly what he said um, if you let anybody affect how you're feeling you're giving them too much control over your life oh, that's a, there's a lot of truth to that and that like him say talking to me about that when I was having that time at work and stuff absolutely changed my life yeah it's like so and so I started focusing more on doing what I wanted to do for you know and that's why yeah. I went back to school and uh, it's probably one of the reasons why I'm having such a hard time now of not being able to find find enough work right and there's like that weird I mean we live in a particular culture that certain things are valued they are you know right um, and so it's a difficult thing to navigate but I would say we're worldly our our culture's world system the world system we exist in is one in which you live this life that's entirely about what is viewed as financial success yeah or we, we take it even one notch higher if you're happy right here's where we get to this financial success is is great we value that because it's self gratifying that's the point of it it makes me happy right but the very light people in our culture that transcend that thought are the people that I didn't do what I did for success monetarily. I did it because it makes me happy and act like that's different. It really isn't. Well, you with me? I've ha I have the mindset that it is that I feel like in my viewpoint, it feels like they're two different things. But at, in the end, they're kind of not because it's like I'm doing what I'm doing because it's part of what I want to do. I right. enjoy the English language. I enjoy learning about it, trying to tell others this is how we do things. But at the same time, I want to be successful at it. Yeah. But it's more important to me to be doing what I'm doing. But I've been trying to find, I, I was trying to find other jobs for a long time too. And yeah. they're not going to hire someone with a master's in English and a bachelor's in English to stock shelves again. Because right. that's what I did for 20 years. Yeah. But at the same time, 
I have this huge history of stocking shelves for a living and the people that have job openings for for teachers are going to look at my short history of teaching and be right. like uh. so I'm like in a lose-lose situation here because I went back to school so late right and uh, you know they tell you to do that it's you're never too late to go back to school well I think maybe there is a point it definitely gets harder right and it's harder to be a success at it and if you're going back to school later in life better be something you like right because it's going to take a long time to be financially successful yeah i think it's more i think you have i personally want to believe that you have more success if you're doing something you love but my wife would dictate otherwise (laughs) (laughs) well that's the whole thing that's the whole that's the point i'm trying to make in this is that our culture values the self and the happiness and satisfaction we get that's our that's our god that's everything that's the worldliness that we're in today and so you have whether you're talking about man i'm doing what i'm doing so that i can get this or so i can have money or and that's where you get spousal conflicts you know because what makes this person happy doesn't make this person happy you know and most marriages end because you don't make me happy anymore yeah you know and then it's even it's even justified nobody even questions it anymore if I just, you know, if you just leave your spouse and say, yeah, that person didn't make me happy. I had to choose my joy. I had to choose my happiness. Our society goes, great, wonderful. You know, because that's our, that's worldliness. That's the system of worldliness. And so you have Christians that go, hey, I don't watch such and such television show. But you live for your own happiness. Well, yeah. that's not, you're missing what, what, what is trying to be communicated in this idea of worldliness. Or uh, how these people are like, if you have a subscription in Netflix, that's worldly. But if you had a subscription in Netflix and did Angel Vid, so it cut out all the bad parts. Right. That's not wor- That's not as bad. Right. You know, which I think, uh, I, I know a couple people that do that. And I was reading an article in the last week, month or two is that for the last several years, AngelVid's been in a legal battle with all these movie companies and stuff because they're basically pirating these movies and recutting them and then restreaming it to... Oh, they're not paying rights for this stuff? Wow. Yeah, they weren't really. No. I think, I don't know, they, they kind of were and then they kind of weren't. I mean, they, it was very shady, some of the stuff it seemed like. Yeah. Like they weren't going about it the right way. I don't know, but they've they've been being sued for several years in court. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. And I thought, well, that's kind of... And then thinking back when I was reading this article and all these people saying, well, this makes it okay. Yeah. Like, yeah, but they're they're not... Uh, to, you know, fall into two wrongs, I'll make a right thing. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't think he knew that, but it's kind of funny. You know, you say this thing's good, and then they weren't checking in on it. And, right. And that's another thing that they don't people do when they condemn all of this on a, you know, use a wide blanket to cover all these issues under the same blanket. Right. And they don't check into these things deep enough to say, well, that deep enough to have an intelligent conversation to say whether this is good or this is bad. Right. They just, you know, <laughs> they much like the world, they just tend to look at something and focus on the wrong thing right which is really fascinating 
that you could have both people say they're right looking at the same thing and they're both focusing on the wrong thing. Yeah. And it, I don't know if you want to call it irony, but it kind of is, you know. <laughs> and I think in this subject, I do want to say this with whatever form of media we're talking about, with that, whatever specifics we're talking about, I think it all ought to be approached with a degree of of grace and understanding that wherever we put a line, wherever we we draw boundaries in our lives, whatever we say is good or bad, we can be wrong. I don't know, you know. We can I may not understand your reasons for doing what you do, you may not understand my reasons for doing what I do. There may be certain particular things that that people find offensive or wrong or worldly or hurtful that doesn't affect everybody in the same way. Uh, and so I don't want to come out with saying, hey, these people over here are stupid or these people over here are worldly or that's not my goal. No. You know? um, for example, for me, I am a former drug addict. And so if I watch media that focuses on people doing a lot of drugs, I feel something that others may not from that. I try to avoid that if I can. I don't I don't like that. Like that was it the Pie movie from the early nineties? American Pie? No. Um no, it was like the symbol pie. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Had Jared Leto in it, like one of his yes. like first it was like this big huge like the only their life like just totally escalated into this life of drugs and yeah he ended up in jail with one arm because his arm was amputated yeah. from being infected from heroin yeah and she was basically a prostitute yeah just for drugs at the end of the movie yeah it's like one of the worst bleakest endings i've ever seen in a movie right i'm watching this as a junior in high school yeah. i'm like and Oh, I can't get some of that images from that movie out of my yeah, head. Yeah, so that's interesting because Requiem for, for a Dream was, that's it. A, oh. was a horrifying film. It was. It's really terrifying. And would be considered a bad, immoral, don't watch this. But honestly, had a great message. That movie kept me from ever wanting to do anything with a needle. It was, it was pretty honest in its depiction of certain things and kind of raw and the product of it was good yeah I feel like yeah it's had it's overall message was more effective in keeping people I bet you that movie had more of an effect of keeping people off drugs than all those years of mad or you know all those kind of programs yeah that would go into high schools and talk to kids. Right. You know, oh, yeah. And it's like, those things were a joke. Yeah. The D.A.R.E. program, I think, was... D.A.R.E. Yeah. Was, I think they concluded it was, had a negative effect. Well, that's that's exactly what um, my um, my brother said yeah. about him in high school. He's like, it made me want to do it. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, or that episode of King of the Hill where uh, Hank's uh, kid I forget what his name was Bobby Bobby Bobby. Bobby Bobby dang it Bobby yeah <laughs> he uh, after sex ed they're like well who are you going to go ask me out to the dance and he goes I don't know whoever had sex with me I guess yeah <laughs> oh and, my and that was like there were 6th grade kids in the yeah. in the 
think that's what they said in this show. Yeah, I remember that. I can't, I can't believe I forgot his name. See? Yeah. I'm just embarrassing myself left and right today. <laughs> I should have stayed in bed. That's what I'm here for. I, have these, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> but so that's an interesting element of the whole conversation that's worth noting, you know, to a mind that has not considered certain things introducing them almost in any form, even in a negative light, incites the desire to want to know. Yeah. Well, like like me and my brother and my friends in school, we're, all weren't allowed to watch that one scene in Top Gun. We had to keep oh, our yeah. eyes shut. Yeah. Then, okay, it's over. And then my 11th birthday, you know, we're allowed to The one to where Goose up. dies, right? Huh? The one where Goose dies? Yeah. No, it wasn't that scene. But you, no, I know. <laughs> I mean, because the scene's hardly even worth mentioning. We went back and watched it 30, 40 seconds of nothing. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I think there were as many curtains in the. I don't know. It just didn't. There was nothing. Nothing yeah. there. We're like, is that it? Yeah. And then we would take, you know, we spent part of the night watching the, the scrambled version of Boiler <laughs> Jam. So. Oh, no, <laughs> I mean, yeah. no. <laughs> you know, because you know, the more you're told in some of these cases that you know you shouldn't do this, the more of these ki kids, you know, uh, we were no exception to this growing up, wanted to see what it was about. Yeah, and I think that has um, it has the exact opposite effect on people than people realize. Uh, exact opposite effect on most of these kids that people want them to have. Yeah. So if we go all the way back to Genesis, it's really interesting. When I thought of when I finally realized this, it's really an interesting thought to me. God, one commandment to Adam and Eve was don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And a lot of people focus on, okay, don't eat the fruit, you know, the fruit, just the commandment about the fruit. It wasn't ever about the fruit. Right. And, <laughs> and the first Thing, the first sin, the thing that doomed mankind, the, the, the worst event that really has occurred, that was the catalyst that has promoted every evil mankind has ever done, was gaining the knowledge of it. Yeah. Where for us, most of us would say, yeah, I want to know. Tell me more about that. Yeah. And so, especially when we come to the things of media, whether we're talking about books, whether we're talking about movies, whether we're talking about whatever, sometimes we think or would think, man, gaining the knowledge of these things can be good. Or learning about this can be good. Or seeing this or being exposed to this or knowing this viewpoint or whatever. We think having a broader perspective, a wider knowledge base is always good. I would say it's not always good. No, because some people can't handle what they're seeing. I mean, you take the kid that's been sheltered his whole life, I'd say a good eight, nine times out of ten, that kid's going to end up really messed up later in life, the ones that are super sheltered. Mm -hmm. Because they'll see that, and they're just going to go crazy when they move out on their own for the first time. If they're not, like, automatically paired up with an MRS degree from a Bible college. Yeah, right. But uh, it's, it's so weird that... Um, that it just, in so many of these cases, it has the exact opposite effect of what they were trying to do. And I don't know if, 
I, you shouldn't be exposing, you know, kids to everything, but you gotta kind of make sure they understand, have a right mindset if they're ever gonna sit down and watch something that's not a, you know, even, even well, anything, watch anything. I mean, like, you could say that's not a Disney movie, but, you know, that went out the window a long time ago. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, all the way back in the early 90s, finding all that stuff that people making the cartoons and put into the cartoons because Disney was ripping them off even back yeah. then. Disney was always an interesting one to me because I came into Christianity, I didn't grow up that way, I didn't know anything about these, and so I, was, I always had to learn these things, and so I remember hearing, man, love songs are bad. Worldly music is bad. Yeah. If it's not about Jesus, it's not good. Don't listen to it. And yet those same people would watch and sing Disney songs about people being in love or this happening or that happening in these Disney films. And I ne- I could not wrap my head around, why is that good? Right. But Frank Sinatra is bad. I don't quite understand what is the delineation here. And what often happens is then the goalpost gets moved every time. Boy, has it ever. And so it's, well, don't do this because, you know, we only, yeah, it's, this music's only about God. It's only supposed to be about God. Okay, yeah, but what about this Disney movie? Well, you have to realize that, that worldliness, and you got to look at the life of the people and these people. And then it's, well, but rock music. Well, but, you know, yeah. it's always something else that is the issue that causes it where that's why you can't do that that's why you can't do this well I, uh, yeah it um it's exactly what you're talking about because uh the rock music so they would say that you know you know the only music they'd allow for the longest time would be like piano and organ music right then somebody Somebody comes up with a guitar, and you're like, oh, I don't know. And they'd you'd be like, it better be acoustic and not have right. a fast beat to it or right. something. And then you get the same beat forever. Right. <laughs> you're like, what? No, they just can't do it. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, yeah, and then you're like, well, okay, that's fine, you know. Want to say that the drums and the electric guitar are bad because they're being used, you know, for worldly music? It's like, well, in some cultures, the drums, their main kind of music. So you know, yeah. it's like that doesn't make it worldly, right? And at one point, the piano was probably the devil's instrument. Yeah, there was a period in church history where li- only liberal churches brought in pianos because well, the thing was basically Gregorian chanting. Or the, uh, the then when the churches started building those giant room-sized organs yeah. with pipes that went everywhere, you know, and that was you know worldly too. And it's like you look back on this thing, it's like, well, all we're doing is progressing in time with the you know with the right. technology, and there's nothing. I in my viewpoint, there's nothing different from the electric guitar, and when you come down to the piano, and then going on back to. Right. Whatever it was, Amadeus, it wasn't quite a piano. What was that thing called? It was kind of like the precursor to the piano. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, that kind of thing. And you go all the way back, and there were just drums at one point. Yeah. Then there was a flute, and that was probably too, you know? It's right. like, so whose standard was right? 
And what I've surmised, and nobody, I think, admits to this overtly, but it's really just whatever's like a good 40 years old. Like yeah. once something gets a good 40, 50 years old, we're, we're good with it, man. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right. Well, because... Because we sing in our hymn book songs that are written in the 1950s. You know? And they're good. Yeah. Even though that songbook is from the 1950s. <laughs> and so that was a contemporary song. But if I sang a contemporary song today that was just about the Lord, that was just, like, there's a little bit of uneasiness about that. Yeah. You know? Or there's this a cappella group that came to that church. Uh, right? You mm-hmm. know, I'm going to use them as a... They're, they're Sorry, guys. Church. We love you. Yes. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're you know... Anyway, um, they would do these songs, and they would have a bit of a beat to them, but they were an a cappella group. Yeah. And they made the, they sounded so good, and you know, it just looked so good listening to them. And then, I don't know, they had a couple of songs that added a little boom, boom, boom yeah. in the background. Oh my goodness, you could just see everybody's uneasiness. You know, everybody <laughs> started turning the rigid statues, yeah. and the, like, I could feel that in the room. Yeah. And it was just like, wow. They're just using their voices, people. Yeah. Oh, and, and then, and then when that one missionary I told you about that was a former pro baseball player that went to Africa. Yeah. He got up and he's like, you know, there's a beat. He's like, there's nothing wrong with the drum. It does. It's not evil because I'm playing the drum. Yeah. He's like, it's what you use it for. Yeah. You, you know, you would say. <coughs> You can make a music that was glorious, you know, that brought glory to God with a drum as you can with a piano. Right. And you could feel the tension in the room, you know, cut it with right. a knife kind of thing. It's like, really, guys? And that's indicative, honestly, of a, of a larger issue, maybe one we can want to wanna delve into today about the <coughs> elevating of external standards as a measure of godliness, you know. It's part of the conversation, no doubt. Right. Um, but it's, it is very interesting that all of these things, and they just kind of progress. So, like, I remember, like, uh, Bible college and whatnot, people have singing groups. They just have, like, a four-man barbershop quartet. That is, I mean, they, they try to sound like the old barbershop quartet they do. groups. And then, and that's where they were years ago. And then, because Southern Gospel was newer then, and was bad. Yeah. Conservative groups were not okay with Southern gospel music. Yeah. Well, now that it's a little older, not not really in style anymore. They have girls joining not, the group. It's not popular now. Southern gospel songs are good, and so you have these quartet groups that were kind of barbershop quartets at the way they started, and now they're really Southern gospel groups that just kind of pull out some of the drums, this and that, and they sing Southern gospel songs. See those those groups that were kind of like barbershop quartets or quintets. Um, mm-hmm. Now will travel with women, and when I was a kid, they didn't travel together. Yeah. In these you know these groups, but now they travel together, but they stay in different rooms, right? Right. right. But uh, it's just or they or uh, they'll stay at different houses for people right. in the because yeah, yeah. nobody will can even be under the same roof. <laughs> And uh, it's really interesting how that's progressed. Yeah. And um, some of the songs are getting a little, that got a little faster or had a little bit of a somewhat of a beat. You know, yeah. even you couldn't really call it that. But 
and they weren't always like straight hymns either no. anymore and it has progressed in that sense because you're right because it is older and each one of these conversations and subjects and are they're nuanced in their own way and they really are a different conversation so for like music throughout the 80s there was what was the contemporary Christian music became big Michael W. Smith but the reason why it was universally um, distrusted and not allowed within conservative churches is because it wasn't about just being Christian music that was written contemporarily. That wasn't the point of it. When it started, there was something called the Contemporary Christian Music Movement. Yeah. And it was a movement. Yeah. And its expressed purpose was to make worldly-sounding Christian music. Right. That's what they wanted. Yeah, I remember. So they wanted the Christian music to sound just like secular music. Well, to be more appealing. To be more appealing. To And from some people in that, I've heard this said, somebody said this statement to me, and that's where I, I kind of agree, yeah, this does not sound right. Somebody said this to me. If um, the devil can use the things of God for evil purposes, why can't we use the things of the devil for good purposes? Yeah. And I go, I just, that does not strike correctly with me. Right. Well, it's like the, it, it's like the whole, it, you can do anything for the wrong, or with, right. for the wrong, with the wrong mindset. Right. And even if you want to do it for good, if you have the wrong mindset about it like that, it's just, you're kind of wasting your time. And so I get why it was rejected. But the problem is many people then went so far as to say anything contemporary is wrong. Right. And we just stopped the whole process. You can't write music for the world and pretend, oh, sorry, it's over. Well, then. <laughs> the canon of music is closed, you know. It's funny because the church that I grew up in had one piano and one organ mm -hmm. for decades. Right. And then they went to two pianos and an organ. And then, and then all of a sudden, one of the guys that's been in the church since the beginning had like a bass guitar. He'd sit in the front pew. Okay. And you're like, well, that's interesting. And then there was fiddles. And then there was, you know, it's like they're, I'm like, they keep adding these instruments as time goes by. And I'm like, this is really, right. you know, it's, it's evolved. It does. It does. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's because, you know, the bass guitar, not as a new thing. I right. mean, still no electric guitars. You know, except for the basses and yeah. electric guitar, technically in people's. Guess, yeah. yeah, which is I'm like looking at this. I'm thinking, why is this okay with you guys? It really is personal preference. Yeah. Which let me say this. I want to say this publicly. That's fine. Whatever any particular churches or Christian or groups personal preferences of what they think is great and most honoring to the Lord or something they should sing, great, praise the Lord, I'm glad for you. Where it gets weird is when somebody elevates their personal preference to the rule that all Christians should abide by. And then to change that arbitrarily over time is, is very damaging, it's hurtful. Yeah. It's hurtful for me to tell you, if you ever listen to a bass guitar in music you're singing and then to 10 years later go you know what I've changed my mind 
was hurtful. Yeah, and they would never say that out loud. And right, and nobody, and this is the other problem I have, and again, this gets back to the more issues that I believe are, are deeper. Nobody ever apologizes. No. Nobody ever comes and says, I said this, and now I've come to a different conclusion, and I was wrong. I'm sorry, I was wrong. But if you ever left because of something, you'd have to come back and apologize to everyone in front of the church. Right. But if the church changes their mind, they're or the pastor changes his right. mind, which basically the church up there is the pastor. I mean, they're not going to say that out loud. That's a lot of cases, and that's another conversation, too, to be honest. Yeah. Because it ought not be that way. No, but see, you would you would look at it now and go, oh my goodness, all these people doing stuff. Yeah. But that's like 40-some years of this guy with his, you know, being the force behind everything. Right. And I don't think it's it's people they're doing it for the right reasons and everything, but he's gotten to the point where it's his opinion, it's his way or the highway. Right. And some people have that have been there since they were little kids forty years ago have left and gone to a different church. Yeah. His own daughter, his oldest daughter, went to the Assembly of God church in town. Yeah. And then their family went there because I had a pastor say this because um, he had this again a standard that he couldn't support with the Bible scripture and when he was pressed on it he preached a message this was public and he preached he says I do not need a scripture reference for the things we do in this church any more than fathers you need a scripture reference for every rule you have in your house you don't need a, you don't need a scripture for why the bathroom needs to be cleaned and I don't need a scripture for why I make the rules here. I'm the pastor, I make the rules. And that's so inappropriate. It is so wrong biblically from the picture that God gives of how a church functions. And it's damaging for people. There was an instance where there, this, church, this building that across the street they were allowed to use for services and use the, use the parking lot for whatever purpose we needed, like bringing in like a portable offices to yeah. use his classrooms and stuff did all that stuff the building comes up for sale and he's like we don't need to vote on it we're gonna buy it and people were backing him on that and this guy's like oh dude i don't know i you know they had to inspect it for the sale and stuff yeah. and he came back and the pastor got on him for giving him a negative viewpoint yeah on this i mean like the building would cost way more than it was worth to update it to code for any use that they were thinking of. Yeah. Pastor just came on him, and then other people were like, "Well, I'll go look into it because they, you know, felt bad for this guy getting so much heat." Yeah. And then they were like, "Well," now so begrudgingly it didn't happen, but it was going to happen because it was his way or the highway. Yeah. And you know you can't you can't back up that kind of thing with the Bible. I mean. Right. If you're going to vote on everything and then you change your mind because you wanted that building, right? It just sounds, you know, and people, and people were leaving because of that. Yeah. And I, that was one of the reasons why my cousin and her husband left. Yeah. Because it was getting such kind of a negative vibe to it. Yeah. But then again, they, they, I don't know. That's another story altogether. Sure. But uh, there, you know, that's just one example of people 
Well, there's always going to be a lot of factors. In yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, it just, it's really weird how stuff gets so taken out of context when you, it, you're not, a, you're, they're not even applying the same standards that they've had universally, right? Right. It's like whatever I feel like applying at the time. And that's where I think this, it really becomes an issue in churches. And I feel like that mindset of, from all of these standard issues, the media issues, the music, the TV, the whatever, it is a issue of the leadership's opinion of these things being presented as the rule of how this church functions, yeah. how you have to live, what is holy and what is not. Yeah. And it's just not what the Bible teaches. Yeah, it's like these guys might know the entire Bible. Like, you could give them a three-word phrase and they can tell you what Bible verse that's in. But that's not really... That doesn't. That's not a substitute for, for how you're supposed to go about things. Right. And I'll support. I'll say this again. I'll support anybody's opinion of saying, "Hey, I'll never watch a TV show." Praise the Lord. Good. I'm glad for you. Yeah. You know, I'll never listen to a song that's not about Jesus. You know what? Probably, probably great. And then I won't listen that. to that song around you. <laughs> right. And I got no problem with that. But when you say I'm not holy unless I do the same, then now I've got a problem. Yeah. Because that's, I mean, the whole New Testament, I just preached through Romans, it's the same thing through Galatians, it's the same thing in Ephesians, it's alluded to in Colossians, it is the idea that we are not under the system of abiding by this rule of measure to measure holiness. You know what it sounds like? A new system of setting up 600 and some odd laws that exactly you need to abide by. Is. It's exactly what it is. It's just... It's just the expanded Jewish law all over again. It really is. It's the same thing. And the purpose of it is the same purpose. Yeah. See, God gave the law not to say, hey, do all these things and then you'll be holy. Not the point. The New Testament tells us the law was a schoolmaster to bring us to the reality that we couldn't keep it. That yeah. we're not holy. That was the point of it. But the Jewish people, the Pharisees, used it as a cover to say, we'll pretend we do this perfectly and thus pretend we're holier than everybody else, and we will lord it over everybody to promote our holiness, to promote our pride, to keep you subdued, to make sure you always feel bad, you always look to us for the answers. And that's exactly the spirit by which a lot of this is done. Not everybody. I'm not no. going to paint a broad stroke on everybody, but a lot of people put these rules out there, and they, you have to wear this, you have to watch this, you have to can't do this, you can't. And the whole purpose is, I do this perfectly, and I'm holy, and unless you do, you're not holy. And every time you mess up, I'm going to remind you how unholy you are. It's the same, it's... When that, that isn't what the New Testament just a repackaging. as holiness. It's just a repackaging. It's the same thing. Which is really funny, because the, uh, well, that's an older version of the newer thing. Oh, it's not quite like the standards for for TV and music and stuff, right? Where stuff that's 40 or 50 years old is okay. It's kind of, I don't know, it's, I, I can't quite conflate the two, but it's really interesting setup that, that you know, because it's old, it's okay now. But uh, 
No, I can't come like to think of it. I just I don't know why that popped in my head. Well, it's it's honestly because, and the reason why the former doesn't seem to have any logical thought to it. Yeah. There are certain things that are at a certain uh, seems like an arbitrary age. This is okay, and this is not okay for the time, and now it is. And I think all of that is arbitrary and illogical because it really revolves around the point you just made. It really is not about those things. Yeah. It's really about me measuring holiness by an external obedience that I derive from my own opinions. So yeah. if my opinions change, the measure of holiness for me changes. Because I'm in control. It's just a new age Pharisee. <laughs> and honestly, it comes down to this thought process. For some reason, we have we have not been okay with believing that Christians can be led of God and determine what is right, what is not right, what is good for them, what is not good for them, what is holiness in their life and what is not holiness in their life. If we're not okay with letting believers the freedom to choose that, supposed to condemn what they're doing without saying that's between you and God. And honestly, there are, you know, we can t- talk about any one of these issues and say that there are principles in the Bible that direct it. We mm-hmm. ought to preach those, and we ought to promote those, and we ought to teach those to people. And then they ought to be discipled and understanding that, I mean, even what we know that there's a danger in all knowledge. There's yeah. a danger in, in exposing yourselves continually to things that you have an issue with that are going to incite Right. There's a danger to worldliness in our world system in watching or exposing yourselves to things that continue to f- promote your mind into thinking them. Okay. Uh, for example, um, what was a good example of this? Um, remember that movie, uh, Pursuit of Happiness? Yes. That is an example of what I would consider a worldly movie. Really? Yeah. And not that it would be something don't watch it as bad or wrong or immoral. But I would say it's something that promotes the notion of our our version of worldliness in this country. He's down in his luck. He's hurting. He's trying to sell. I forget if he's selling clinkers or medical equipment. I don't remember. I think it was medical equipment. He tried to sell something. He was a door to door salesman of some sort. And he's down in his luck. He can't have money. And now they're you know homeless and all these different things. And life is garbage. Stinks. And at the end of the movie, of course, the turnaround is now he's this high profile. Investor? Was an investor? Stockbroker? I think so. That later on ended up being slightly shady, I think. But anyway. I don't know. But then that was, now he's happy. Again, I mean, that's, that's our version of worldliness. If you're successful, if you make a lot of money, you'll be happy. Yeah. And the statistics are that they're not no. Rich people are not any happier. Right. Like, I think they said the highest divorce rate in professional... Uh, Careers was uh, lawyers. I believe it. Yeah, and then second was like dentists. Oh, really? Yeah. I never thought that. Dentists, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you've heard some of them. You know, you get the patient under gas and they get a little. Do they mean he was gassed in that? Well, you know what I mean. It's, yeah. yeah. Some sort of general anesthesia and, you know, they get a little too poured, so to speak. <laughs> about that last year there's always a case about something right 
So, but again, I mean, yeah. that's the that's the idea, you know. You ought to be warning people about that, and then saying, "Here's the biblical principles, and you live out holiness, and you've got the freedom in Christ to do that." You don't answer to me, right? You know, if you listen to you too, I'm not. It's not my job to say, "Well, you too." Yeah, it's not my job to go through every one of their songs and try to find out if there's something there I can pick out to get you. Yeah, and that's what's done. I know. I'm gonna go research all these people's histories. Oh, well, did you know that that died in 1971? Who? It's not my job. Well, or the, you know what's even worse though is the people that don't do that mm-hmm. that will still condemn you for it. Mm-hmm. It's like at least I want to hear somebody that thinks you know that tries to be informed is talking <laughs> about it. I mean. You, you try to tell somebody that this guy's got a clearer picture of salvation than probably most people, including the person you're talking to, does. Yeah. And they just don't want to hear it because the guy's the lead singer in our probably the most successful and famous group out of the last 40 years. Yeah. I mean, they they set records every time they go on tour. Yeah. You know, make make half a billion dollars almost going on tour. Yeah. Every three or four years and. That's all. That's almost entirely profit most of the time. Yeah, I bet it is for them. Yeah, I mean, at this point, sure, they make more so money off of touring, but the reason their message is completely rejected is because people don't look into them. They don't look into their history. They, you know, most of the time, and they just blanket cover what they have to say because they consider them worldly. Right. You know, and maybe they are, or somewhat, but. You know, they're not perfect Christians, and neither are the people condemning them for it. Right. And that's the thing. I mean, it's just mentioned that, that if I went and I researched them and listened to every one of their songs, I guarantee I could find a whole list of things that I could say, well, this isn't quite right, and this yeah. lyric is ungodly, and this guy did this, and, you know. Right. But you can do that with anybody. Absolutely. And there's obviously, in terms of music, music is a different type of media, because it's only really last I mean since 1950s conservative Christianity that we view music as an inappropriate human experience or the thing that humans only do in worship of God but doesn't exist in other mediums right because Oh, well, even though there were some detractors when Mozart and Beethoven were playing, saying some of that was devilish, it's still, you would have people that would enjoy that for the sake of the art and then go sing their Gregorian chants on Sundays in church mm-hmm. because those two could exist in one's mind. Right. Now they cannot. And the understanding, I don't know why, but we don't have the understanding that music, art, even though most people are, it's art. Yeah. Is a human experience. It's part of what we are. It's how yeah. God created us. I we know. express ourselves that way. We're visual creatures. And so it's only normal and natural that we would offer up praise to God in that medium. Right. But not to say that that medium can't exist in other purposes. Well, that's what I've been trying to tell people since I've gone back to school for writing. You know, it's like, I agree with Stephen King. Uh, about this is a little bit of off thing but when you're writing about something you have like this you have this un 
I wouldn't say unnamed, but you know, unmentioned contract between you and whoever's reading it. But you're going to write the person, you're going to write the situation as true as possible to that that fictionalized character to that situation. Because mm-hmm. anything else would be a lie. Okay. Because like you like if you're going to write a if you're going to write a super bad person. Yeah. Or a person that's, you know, like anything from you like you've been saying about, you know, about like Requiem for a Dream, about a drug addict mm-hmm. or about somebody that's uh in a gang, they're not going to be like, well, gosh, golly, they didn't do this right. And, or, you know, oh, I'm right. going to go beat him up. You want to come help me or something? Right. You're going to get, these guys are going to talk. They're going to swear. They're going to, they're going to be vile, evil creatures. And to write anything else, write them as anything else would be extremely inappropriate. And it would violate the contract that un. Why can't I? F- There's always a word. There's always a word during the day that I should know that I just can't. My mind's not wrapping itself around uh, this this contract, unstated contract between you and your reader, and that would make that would turn them off to what you're writing. Yeah. You know, it's just it's just an art. I don't. It's not. It's not evil to have to write people the way the way that they would be in real life because that's that's lying. You know, that's that's another, you know, sin altogether, if you will. I mean, people vi- avoid, avoid Stephen King stuff because his stuff's so true to life. I mean, Mike, they're like, oh, he writes about this, he writes about that, that's evil. Or the left will be like, oh, he hates gay people because he writes this in there. It's like, well, no, he's writing characters that hate gay people. Right. You know, and why, why are you going to have them act? You're going to say, well, I really hate him, but I respect his rights. Like that, the conversation does not happen in real life. Yeah. You know, you're gonna have the bad guy swear. You're gonna have the bad guy doing bad things. That's one reason why Louis L'Amour books weren't, you know, in my opinion, super good writing because he didn't write the bad guys doing bad things. Yeah. As much as you know, he had the he. They never swore once in his books. Yeah. That kind of thing, and. I don't know. I think that's, that's really interesting that you bring it up because that was one of the things I want to talk about in this is language. We make a big deal yeah. in TV, music, um, movies, whatever. For Christians, especially, is there curse words? You know, that's a big, right? A big marker. There's curse words. It's bad. You know, bleep them out. You can't have them heard. And then you have every spectrum along those lines. So you have the stuff all the way like you just mentioned that has the bad guy sounds ridiculous you know yeah. because nothing's there and then you have things that are in the middle that present evil as evil as it would be in the world that we see it right and then you have things all the way over here where you have language just for the sake of language I remember when I was a kid I read I think what I did here in school was read Catcher in the Rye right actually never read that you never read Catcher in the Rye okay well which is weird because my training yeah that is weird but it's also not good Right, like it's it's good. I will say that I'm not gonna disparage it. It's it's it has the the purpose of it is great, but it curses for the sake of cursing. Mm-hmm. Like it just ninety percent of the book is the f word. Like it's really <laughs> okay. And so you have this all the way over here where, like, I'm not gonna give that to my kids to read because obviously there is a certain amount of repetitiveness 
and things presented as normal that then come back out. I wouldn't let my kids read the classics. I would at a certain age. Yeah. But I also understand this. If, if they hear a certain language constantly, they're going to speak a certain language. It's just reality. You know, sometimes at home I... I don't know. I think it's only one of those things to do with my mind being broken in some way. But when I get super frustrated, I just, every once in a while, I'll say something that I know I shouldn't have. Mm -hmm. But that's, I'm not doing it for the sake of doing it. It just comes out. I'm like, and she'll get mad at me. I'll be like, I can't help it sometimes. I'm not doing it on purpose. I just, it just comes out. And, you know, I just, so... The kids aren't used to that at home. So when we watch, um, not my wife will say, but it happens more often. It's like, you're right. It does happen more often than I would like. Yeah. But we're not watching the movies for that. You know, it's like if a movie's, if it's part of the storyline, I can view it differently than if it's cursing for the sake of cursing. Right. You know, or like, uh, like I'll let them watch a violent movie if it's war or you know something like that yeah. because that's war like the patriot yeah. one of the most graphic violent movies you'll ever see in your life yeah. my kids will watch that with i'll be like you can watch that as many times in a row as you want yeah because that's what happened that's what they dealt with that is reality yeah. but you know all of the the graphic things where where you're swearing just for swearing or you're having those scenes that they shouldn't be seeing you know that it's uh, you know those sexual scenes or, or or drug use. You know I try to I try to limit that as much as I can, but my oldest son's legally able to do that on his own now. Right. So I can't limit him because he can go see it whenever he wants. Right. So I just kind of have to. Tell them, yeah, I watch this. I watch some stuff too, but you know, kind of guide guide them to what is you know should be right. You know, not all the way to one way or the other, but you know, there is there is a way to go about this that's better than you know that you should be doing. (laughs) And that I think is a thing, especially when we talk about this topic. A lot of it centers around, man, we got to keep our kids from. That's a bad way to go. And I think it's bad in the sense that it's dangerous to teach our children that the success of their life, that their standing before God, that their holiness is measured by their abstinence from certain medias. And that their abstinence makes them better than those who look at it. Right. Because that's not the point, you know. Um, And from every one of these, to be I don't want to um, enjoy violence no. there is something what, what do they call it they call it torture porn is that what they call it yeah yeah I know if people just watch vi- obscene violence in movies or TV for the sake of enjoying the obscene yeah. violence that's why I've never watched Hostel or I've never watched Saw right. that's, exa- that's what that all is about yeah and I'm like no there is no artistic merit for these movies whatsoever right there is no there is no literature standpoint for this there's nothing there's there's no there's nothing 
redeeming about this kind of movie. Right. And that is a totally different thing than something like The Patriot, where the purpose of the violence is to elicit the emotion of how much they went through to obtain that freedom. And how... What it costs them, you know? Yeah, how much that is worth and how much, how you should be looking at it. Yeah. Same thing with, like, a Braveheart. Oh, that was uh, such a good movie. Where, where you get the, the sense of the loss, oh, you know, man. because of the violence. And so what I want my kids to have is, man, I want them to be so fulfilled by God that they're not trying to fill holes in their life with torture porn, with huh. sexual porn, yeah. with, you know, drugs or the illusion of drugs or this glorifying of particular lifestyles or this, you know, all of this, which is worldliness out there, yeah. filling the void, that they're watching these medias for that purpose. Like you two said, looking to fill that God-shaped hole. Right. Yeah, which is... Yeah, uh, yeah, that's, and I think. And so the greater question regarding all of this is not what do I watch, what do I listen to, what do I read. But why? The greater question is why. Why am I doing it? Why am I intrigued by these things? You know? Yeah, or, yeah, um, and yeah, why are you? And then there's people that will take, you know, the wholesome activities and do the exact same things with those, though. Yeah. You know, they're filling that God-shaped hole with their bus ministry service. Yeah. You know, and it's, I've seen people just taking those ministries and making that the God in their life. Yeah. You know, some things will suffer for that. Like, these people are working two jobs and doing the bus ministry, but then they're buying using all this money to entice these kids to go on their bus route and stuff like that. And it's like, is that the, you know, that's right. They're, they're just doing it for the wrong reason. And it's like, it takes two jobs, you know, that much money to live in Alaska and you're, you're buying four dozen donuts and, and all this chocolate milk for, you know, 40 kids on your bus. Right. They don't, they ate before, you know, they (laughs) ate before they got there. Yeah. They don't need you buying them prizes and, you know, donut. It, it shouldn't be about that stuff. But they, they're making the ministry, the they're using the ministry to fill that little hole in their life that they yeah. don't quite understand. And the hard part about that is you, you can never know about somebody. I'm just, I know. It's not my job to say, man, I don't know who is doing that because they just, man, love the Lord and want to serve kids or who does that because they didn't have that day to eat a lot of garbage and that's their life and that's that thing that makes them feel secure. It's really hard to tell. Yeah, like the pastor that I had that had this lady that would give most of her income to the church yeah. as her tithe. And he's like, and he had a conversation with her about not doing that. You need to use this to pay your bills and make sure, you know. Yeah. And she's like, what, you came unglued, kind of like, mm. don't do that to me, pastor. Yeah. So he like stopped talking to her about it. Yeah, because, you know, she just, the, her reaction was like, but I need this. Yeah. And it's like, that's completely the wrong way to look at it, too. And it's, they don't understand that they're, uh, 
th that they're filling what they they're filling what they don't know with this exact same kind of thing, right. or the exact same kind of way. It really, it really is. It's just the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing. I'm fulfilled by what I indulge in, or I'm fulfilled by what I refuse to indulge in. Yeah. You know, my pain gives me a sense of superiority. You know, and a lot of times you see people all the way on this end that talk about what you want to do, want to do. It's all from the standpoint of wouldn't it be great though? But we can't. We can't. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Doesn't matter how great it is. You can't. You know that kind of. Right. It's never from the standpoint of again. It's wonderful. Why would you want to? Yeah. You know. I know, and you know it's so. And then people will wonder why that uh, most of the people are, won't even listen to people. You know, there's a good portion of people that won't even listen to anything people in the church have to say because yeah. they sound a little hypocritical. And the greater damage is it's so superficial and so besides the point. I've been in many youth meetings meetings, those kinds of things where, man, the, the whole topic of conversation is throw out your music is, is so besides the point. And you'll do anything for them. You got a kid that has no relationship with God. They don't know of his goodness. They've not tasted of his love. They don't get it. They're not there yet. It no. does not matter whether they listen to some barbershop quartet or whether they listen to... Difference does it not going to yeah. make in their life? It's not going to change anything for them, you know, because you're selling a bill of goods that isn't isn't real. You're telling them, man, if you get rid of this music, that's going to elicit some godliness in your life. And then they do it, and they're just emptier. See, that's funny. That reminds me of a, a story. We we had a you know a missionary over the you know one of this this church in Spokane. Uh, it was the first church we got involved with. It was just weird. Anyway, um, had a missionary over that would preach against all that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And then his, they were teaching their kid the proper way to play a guitar and all this stuff because they were doing Christian music. Yeah. And then all of us kids um, always, well, besides, that was one of the times I treated my brother wrong, but telling him to stay, you know, pick your own friends. Yeah. Because, you know, you might be happier having friends your own age. He hung around because he wanted to hang out with me, and I didn't. Anyway, um, so we were all hanging out at the church together, and his kid's playing the guitar, and then he kind of looks around and starts playing an acoustic version of Enter Sandman. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm like, that sounded fantastic. Yeah. But it was kind of funny coming from this kid whose parent just made money by getting up in front of the church and railing yeah. against the, that kind of music. Yeah. And it's like... I kind of felt bad for the kid because he has his pretty good talent, right? But yeah. he's having to. And this is a different that. conversation, but I wanted to mention it because it was—it's been promoted as like uh, preaching against his sins is the hard preaching. Yeah, that's hard. That's the real stuff. That's hard. Yeah, get in there and preach against that music and preach against that TV show and preach against those pants and that's the hard. That's easy preaching. That's not hard. It's really easy to pick out a bunch of stuff that I don't like yeah. and call it wrong. Yeah. And you know what? It's, it's so easy because I don't have to exposit any portion of Scripture to do it. No. I don't yeah. even need to use the Bible. Because it ain't there. No, that's true. I know. And What's it, hard preaching, though, 
foods. Pointing out why you're doing that in the first place. Getting in there and really <laughs> exegeting the word of God. Yeah. Really exposing the scripture and applying it in a balanced and biblical and loving and truthful way to lead people into a greater adoration of God and relationship with him. And then to preach it in such a way that I give you the tools to follow what God's word says without picking it for you. That's hard. Yeah. Yeah. I could get up Sunday. I could do no study this week and get up Sunday and go preach against every, you know, whatever thing I want to call worldly. I, could, I mean, that's easy. You right. Know? And then, and then, um, and then conclude by giving a giving a call to the altar for salvation and then telling people that uh, that there's salvation you know people are already saved I don't know if you're already saved or not that's between you and God but not realizing that all that stuff that their their motivation for all that stuff he was preaching about before is also between <laughs> them and God right and it's like man and I I do want to point out that I feel like that's a loaded term that isn't can be used incorrectly, the terminology of that's between you and God, because Paul does talk about how the things we do affect other people, you know, and I know that's not what you were saying in, in that, but yeah, I do know people use that to say, don't talk about what I'm doing in my life because that's between me and God, where Paul said, no, no, if I, I'm not going to be mute if it causes my brother to repent because I go, that was between me and God, you yeah. know, so there is an element in that, you know, that, that people can take way the other direction and say, hey, what I do has no bearing. Everything we do has a bearing on other people. Every time I hear that, I don't know why, but every time I hear that phrase, um, lately I, I think of that scene where Jesus is drawing in the dirt. Yeah. You know, when they say that's between you and God, and he's drawing in the dirt, and then one by one the people are leaving. Yeah. And it's like, I you know, always imagining him drawing in the dirt, like, so-and-so's looking at me, so I'm going to draw his sin. You know, yeah. I wrote his sin in the thing. Or, and then so-and-so's looking, he, I think I just got this gut feeling that that's exactly what he was doing. And people were like, oh, geez, and then leaving, you yeah. know. And, you know, because he's basically telling them to mind their own business almost. That's between her, you know. I know it's, yeah. I don't, I, I know. And he also, you know, sin no more. Sure, he's like realizing that it's, affecting all these other people but you know for them to come out and not let the thing be be between her and god and making it public you know right making it their business was totally awful right so yeah there she almost died for it for one thing right so that was kind of uh, that's uh, i always think of when someone says that i think of that scene him drawing in the dirt yeah because if you make that bet not between them and God, but you know you get yourself involved, what makes you any different than those guys that were looking over Christ's shoulder while he's dra right. drawing in the dirt? And therein is the is the crux of the matter. Is I want to lead people into serving God, right? Not into follow serving me. I don't want you to do what you do because it makes me happier because I said so. Or right. Because that's not who cares. I'm not God. I want when I lead people I want it to be when you get so close to God that, that you believe you know what he wants for your life 
Yeah. You know, but you follow his word. And my job is to point out from the pulpit and in people's lives where people do it. I say, man, I think God's saying this. And I just go, well, the scriptures do say this, though. Yeah. Let me help you with that. Here's what the Bible says. I'm not telling you, this is, I'm just telling you what the Bible says, you know. And if it's not in the Bible, I can say, hey, I prayed with you about that. I know that's what that, man, I really hope that that's God's leading you in your life, you know. Um, but it's not to say, well, here's my rule. And people are doing it to please the pastor. Yeah. I don't need to be pleased with you. That's what I, that's what I, I, uh, I was turning more into that when I left town but was people doing it I think as much to please the pastor as anything else yeah. and it's superficial yeah it doesn't develop into a vibrant and joyful walk with God that culminates in a life that serves people it's a life that lords over people that oppresses people that controls yeah. people and serve people and see, and that's why I think that's that's the kind of feeling I got, and that's why I haven't really gotten. I don't want to say that's the sole reason why I haven't gotten into things, but I think a main or a heavy aspect of that was feeling like it was just this oppression, this cage that they were putting around us, and the only time I haven't felt like that was the last. Basically, the last three, you know, three pastors I've had all went, to, which is really weird that they all went to the same school at one point or another. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That's got to be more than a coincidence, right? Yeah, it probably is, you know. Yeah. I I'll mean, tell you why, though. Here's what's really cool. Why that is, is not because, and I love that school. I do. I love the people in charge of that school. Some great preachers and people that exposit the word of God. But the spirit that we're talking about sounds like it but here's the thing but here's why i believe that the experiences with him and why they have such a great track record they believe in expositing the word of god they believe in digging in and preaching and teaching the bible they are not good at what what has been promoted as christianity from many other circles and formats right from people that just open a scripture as some springboard and preach for 40 minutes about So even though they hold to these really rigid standards and beliefs that are very much the same as what we're talking about, they wouldn't preach it that way. No. Because it's not there. Well, I wouldn't know from personal experience, but the people, the product of the school has been really refreshing. Yeah. I mean, it's it just makes things feel like they make sense, finally. Yeah. Which is fascinating to me. That I'm like, almost like I'm discovering for the first time what I'm supposed to or what I should be feeling like sometimes in church yeah. I mean just a more honest you know non-dogma interpretation of the Bible right. which is just I don't know it's, it's and they were all being younger than me which has also made me feel weird but <laughs> <laughs> well I think that's I think there's that's part of that of what God has done in especially very conservative groups is there's these older preachers that have just they've been done it a certain way yeah and I think because it it had results and 
1960, 70, even in the 80s, there were results to that. And their churches were built off of exactly everything you just talked about. Yeah. And it seemed to work. It seemed that people got saved. It seemed that lives were changed. It seemed that families were reunited, you know? I was there. I can't say whether they were or not, or whether that was deep in the gene. I can't say. And so it seemed like there was a lot of that. It was like, well, if it worked then, it'll work now. Yeah. I don't know whether it did or didn't. I don't know how ever focusing your whole ministry on on not listening or not wearing or not washing developed to be a problem with God. I don't get that. But um, it seems like a lot of these older guys just think, no, if we just do that, if we just stick to that, if we just hold to the road pass, yeah, you know, um, that'll do it. Where guys my age and you know the the thirty to forty region of pastors you know right now yeah are, are saying don't have to be that way you know yeah. God can work now and he can work in this generation and a walk with God is not centered around those things no and it's not like they're they're not approaching it from a worldly standpoint they're not approaching it from a dogma standpoint they're they're using a little bit I don't know there's a mixture of logic in there that that uh, unbiased logic that hasn't been there before. Yeah. And it's just really refreshing. Yeah. And I mean, I I've I don't know. I it, it's like it's like reading a really good book and going, "Wow." You yeah. know, cuz cuz you've been used to a bunch of average books. You know, and then just finding this one that sticks out, and you're like, "Oh my goodness!" You know, it's like it was an eye-opening experience. Right. And uh, which isn't to say that the other books were super bad and wrong or anything. It's right. just this is. Why, why haven't I seen it this way before? Right. You know, and uh, it's been so nice. And I was hope you know. And I thought, well, maybe this will be, you know, it feels like it's been a better thing um, in our lives. But at the same time, you know, and not, nothing, you know, it's it, it's been better for me. Yeah. I, I can't speak for everyone in the family because I don't, you know, I don't know what's going on sometimes with these. But, uh, but uh, yeah, it's been fantastic. And I'm, I'm glad because I'm trying to learn how, to be, you know, to how to put it into words from a biblical perspective, what I've always thought, because, you know, from the way I've, you know, it's, I haven't been telling them the wrong things. I've just haven't been able to back it up with, sure. with scripture a lot. And like guys at work saying, well, why don't you do this? And it's like, you know, I want to tell, you know, explain things and argue with you or, you know, share viewpoints. Yeah. But I don't know enough about this, and I'm sorry I can't I can't do anything in this conversation for that. Yeah. And uh, and this has been better because it's been able to make sense in my head more. Yeah. Of how or why I should be doing it this way, or why, or what what I you know, not telling me what to feel, but I don't know. I, I it's it's hard for me to put in words sometimes. Yeah. But it's been it's been good because it hasn't been explained that way before. And I'm like, oh, what was that first thing that 
you the one of the first things I remember from the first few months you were here that is like I just never heard it that way before and I know it had something to do with Paul obviously but but uh, <laughs> but what was it uh, I can't remember but it was just so it was kind of a I've even said it to you before and it's like there's this experience and I just never heard it put that way and I was like wow I think I said it in front of the church too when you were going around saying what we were thankful for and I said it out loud and I was like I just never heard it put that way Yeah. and I can't remember what it was you think of it you're gonna have to let me know <laughs> i'll remember i'll probably remember like two of them back then well, that's fine <laughs> text it to me i'll probably be up okay <laughs> <laughs> i mean I, i'll have my phone off whenever i'm sleeping so don't worry about ever texting me okay yeah because the i'll wake up at eight o'clock turn it on and then get a whole bunch of stuff all of a sudden yeah so you know messages from bones coffee wanting me to order more coffee or that that employee service that I've never used saying there's more jobs I'll show up at once mixed in with everyone else's message but yeah. so if you think of something like that you want to text someone you know, <laughs> just text it to me you're not going to wake me up alright yeah <laughs> but God, it, it, that was one of the things I was like wow and I would have never heard that any from from another line, I don't know, line of teaching I don't want to even say it that way because then it gives it bad connotations, right? Right. From that kind of spirit, like you said. Yeah. And it was just so good. And I'll say this even about that. I consider it harder to even preach that way and to lead that way, in, especially in groups or in communities or churches or whatever that, that haven't had that experience centered around external conformity yeah. and are good with that we don't really know how to take it right away you know? and everybody comes to that at a different time not everybody's really ready at any point in time to, to have a deep walk with God they're not ready to start that journey you know? some people are real good with the idea of I do my thing I go to church I don't listen to this I don't watch this and I consider myself holy my whole Christianity and then you interrupt that and say well that's really not Christianity Christianity is like walking with God and you're like well I'm not really interested in that business right you know people don't come to that as open so especially when you get I've seen a lot of times you know families especially that have especially when kids have grown up and that's that's all they've been exposed to and they just have in their mind that Christianity is like don't do X, Y, and Z I keep thinking I haven't you know these guys are like all yes and you know all you're like with the with the older ways and they're like 
I was so gung-ho and so excited about it. And I'm like, is there something wrong with me because I'm not feeling the same way they are? You know, <laughs> I've been made to feel like I am. Right. And uh, it's like, but then, you know, I just, I, I'm having a better connection lately because it's different, the different spirit and from, from the, you know. And I'm like, it's still, you know, it just kind of, it still kind of feels that way, but, you know, it's a lot easier to understand now. Yeah. It's a lot easier to connect with. And it's like, I really appreciate that because it's being thought of, you know, I've always liked to think of things differently and I appreciate or or try to think of things in a new way. And I know there's no way to do that because everything's been thought of. Right, right, right. But, uh, and I appreciate others that do the same thing because I connect with that more. Yeah. So, I've been, I don't know, I'm not, <laughs> don't know if I'll ever quite be there, right? But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling better, better well, about things. Probably the indication from any of us who are on the right path is when you have the mindset of, I don't know if I'll ever really get it. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. You know? If your Christianity is, hey, I don't do this and I do this, I'm good. I'm good. What yeah. do I gotta do? Yeah. You're pro- you mean you're out there. Yeah. And it's you know, um, uh, people they get you know, try you know you're trying to be Christ-like and everything, but they turn that into a dogma where it's like uh, just like the law. It's like you're you're never gonna get to that level but you know and then getting on people that haven't reached that level because you think you have is just so so demoralizing and it's like it's hard to get out from under that you know it's that's why I joke like joking around that that's a Catholic in me feeling guilt yeah (laughs) because it's kind of it's exact same kind of vibe in the worst kinds of those scenarios people that have come out of that and developed the walk with God, they describe it like PTSD. They really do. And I think there's a lot of legitimacy to that because... That's a, I've never heard it put that way, hard. but that's, that's amazing. It's hard, especially if you grow up that way and to live your whole life feeling like I'm putting on this show of holiness that isn't real. See, that's the thing. And to always feel that guilt, I'm not good enough. grandparents my mom's mom were charter members of that church my my grandpa was a deacon they were the 50s and 60s you know they looked towards and 40s 40s and 50s probably more than 60s Uh, they looked towards that kind of christianity and then my parents i'm going to say this in the best way possible my parents grew up in the 60s and 70s yeah right and so they did that, and then they sent us to church. Yeah. So I'm like, <laughs> right. And so I felt so incredibly, I don't know, just op- I don't, oppressed. Yeah. You know, and it's, uh, I don't know, it just feels like a huge struggle that uh, didn't have to be there in the first place. <laughs> and I think, uh, uh, boy, once people see that you, you know, you don't have to approach it that way 
and, and uh, it's really a hard message to take, but once they get it, oh man. Yeah. But that's God that has to do that in, in people's lives. Yeah. You know, that's why Wednesdays, um, we were going to start I didn't get much in the last yes, yesterday as I wanted to. I know. In I know. the future, we can build <laughs> just because uh, I really believe that that's the heart of God. God's got to do. God's sure. got to do that in hearts. God's got to show himself real. You know, and it's not a choice we make to, oh, I'm just going to be different. Or I'm just not going to be like that anymore. Right. <laughs> or that way. more often because I you know as much as I think I feel like I'm you know living under something my dad grew up in the Catholic Church and then went to that kind of church yeah so imagine he feels even worse than I do almost every single day and yeah and I just want him to know he doesn't have to think like that yeah and uh, <laughs> and he He's not going to ever get that because he's either stuck going to a non-denominational, oh, vanilla diet vanilla church, uh, yeah. or his wife's a Mormon. Oh wow! Yeah. So he's you know it's doesn't have to be like that, right. and uh, I don't know if he's going to ever get that, which is sad. You know the. Uh, I told you the the president of Liberty used to be our pastor. Which one? The president now? Yeah. Oh, really? Prevo? Yeah. He came from Anchorage. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a mega church, that. Anchorage Baptist Temple. Thousands and thousands of people in yeah. there. It's not as much today. Their popularity has gone downhill quite a bit. Okay. But it's still, you know, well, you know, the biggest church in town up there. Yeah. By far. And you know they, he. Uh, that's the church we went to, and uh, when we were having issues with, um, I think they did it the wrong way, but the message came out. When we, when my sister was basically dying, you know we didn't. She was having all these issues, and she was basically dying, but we didn't know she was gonna die. Yeah. You know my dad's feeling like uh, oh feeling that Catholic guilt I guess I don't know mm -hmm. but he basically they, they they actually came to the hospital and you know tried to comfort my parents but my I think they ended up telling my dad you know that, you know things happen for a reason <laughs> kind of thing yeah. which is like a horrible thing to say when your daughter's sitting there you having all these problems right. But he ended up getting saved because of that situation yeah. from from Prevo's ministry. Oh wow! Yeah, which is quite phenomenal to me. Uh, but that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, he he never uh, he still feels that guilt. Yeah. You know that I'm not good enough thing. That's why, and I preach this, and it's one of those things where. <laughs> You say it, and you gotta kind of just let it be, and come back again later. Yeah. And let it be, and come back later. But what Paul says um, in Romans, 
transformed by the renewing of your mind. Yeah. And that the jolt of religion is the, is the religion. That's how the world does it. That's what all religions are about in the world. Right. So that's why I said Jesus is different than that. I don't like saying that word even. That word just feels tainted at this point now. You know? Right. With all the connotations that are associated with that thing. But this this renovation, the word that Paul uses in Romans, renewing your mind, renovating it, is the idea there. It's a process. It takes work, you know. Right. Like you can see this in the disciples, you see it in early churches, you know, like as people are exposed to truth and God begins to illuminate their eyes and begin to see. There's this process to undo thinking patterns, you know. It's not easy. Right, and their forms of entertainment and stuff, uh, their forms of, I don't know, their practices weren't necess- I don't know, weren't bad in and of themselves, but that it, the way they went about things or what they were choosing to focus on was, I think, well, I think the issue, right? I mean, I don't think Christ had any problem with the with the people needing to make a living, but the way they were going about it in the temple right. was the, you know, it's like, I think the same thing could be said of, you know, how, and the way they were entertaining themselves. Mm-hmm. It's no different from today. It's just a different form of technology. Right. You know, people taking television and using, and Lord, you know, using it to, or like, like the thing with the meat, the, the idol meat, yeah. I think is a better analogy. Right. Um, because you know I'm better than you because I don't do this, or, you know it's like well you, <laughs> I'm better than you because I do. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. So it's so that's the way better way to look at it. Um, so it's and that's really the conversation is exactly what Paul is talking about. The same type of thing. Something that Paul says on its own, it has no inherent godliness either way. Right. And what does he say? What's the combination of that? Is Number one, he talks about that I ought to live as if he hadn't made me. You know, that's how I ought to live. Whether I do or don't do something should be more about the effect in the lives of people than it is for my own enjoyment. Right. And number two, he says this, and this is even greater than he mentioned second, is that you and your do all to the glory of God. So I should be able to say, hey, if I'm listening to this, if I'm watching this, if I'm reading this, this is to the glory. So how I don't have an issue with doing it, but how would you say that you were reading mainstream fiction to the glory of God? I think that depends on which. I'm not talking about murder and porn. Right, Right, but I mean it it all depends on on what you're talking about. You know, I feel like I I saw a lot of principles of godliness and things. And it makes me think of the walk with God. He was supposedly saved, too. Right. Um, heard they all ran in the same circles, him and C.S. Lewis yeah. and all of them. And C.S. Lewis is just a little jerk, but obviously not. Slightly, <laughs> right? <laughs> a little too on it. No. 
<laughs> well, when J.R. Tolkien introduced uh, the Hobbit to this group, yeah, someone yelled out, "Oh, great! Not another effing elf story." <laughs> the story with elves. Yeah. And that was like the way, supposedly. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's um, so. How would you read that to the glory of God, though? And explain to somebody that you're not doing it for a worldly purpose. Well, first of all, I know it's between you and God, right. and they should butt the heck out of it. Well, first of all, enjoying life is to the glory of God because He gave it. He's given us all things virtually to enjoy. And that includes and music so and reading. You spending time with your wife and kids, having fun, is to the glory of God. You know, you enjoying the day that He's given you is to the glory of God. And so enjoying, enjoying the beauty of a sunset is the same as enjoying the beauty of art that God gave to the mind of man to create. You know, it's still the creation of God. Right. true. Now there's that avenue, first of all. Look at how awesome this is. Second of all, there's all of the imagery and allusion and all of the different um, uh, analogies to the battle of good versus evil, of the nature of struggle, all of those different things that you gather from that. That I was like, man, that's a glorified God. Right. You know? And, and depending on the medium, you may be able to read, you may not be able to still haven't watched it probably yeah, because of that. that right yeah but my standpoint is not that it's the idea as a story of how terrible and evil it is the forces of darkness and what they can do to people what's actually out there that we don't know yeah and so i would say there is certainly a danger and i wouldn't necessarily say it's a good example a uh, guy that I ended up going to church with because which is wild because I worked with him several years beforehand at Ziggy's at a lumber company and he was nowhere near a church person he yeah. was like a terrible human being he ends up having a nice family going to church being successful and all this stuff and it's like great he's a little on edge though Call, he's like what are you racist once I'm like what <laughs> he said never mind and I'm like but he watched when he was single, he watched End of Days, oh, yeah. and it got him 
like freaked out of his mind and he started reading the Bible after that. Yeah. Because of you know, the good versus evil that was so well done in that movie. Yeah. I mean, you could say whether the movie was well done or not, but I loved it. And, you know, Schwarzenegger movies, I just love Schwarzenegger yeah. movies. Who doesn't? And they're so entertaining. But, uh, you know, that one especially was so, I don't know, it was so unusual for the way it presented things. It was, And it got him reading his Bible. Or, um, what was the other one? I just had it in my mind, but it was a good versus evil one too. That was just, just had such a good way of putting things. But you know, it was also a Hollywood movie. Yeah. And uh, but it, the message, there was a certain aspect of it that was had a good message yeah. to it. it. Was completely ignored by people who said that was a worldly thing. Well, there's a lot. I mean. Matrix is a great example of that. Oh, Matrix. Oh, there's another level of humanism you could get. I mean, people at Wachowski brothers or sisters now. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> they uh, they they based their full philosophy of that movie on Gene Bulgariard's uh, Simulcra's Simulcrum yeah. book, yeah. and which I think they they got. Well, he even disavowed anything. I love that they kind of got it wrong. Yeah. But uh, he, they were like, oh, it's not whether or how that, uh, you know, focusing on the how of they were bending that spoon. Right. It's like you got to just remember there is no spoon. Yeah. Or something like that. Right. And it got right. him starting to use his powers a little bit, this right. conversation with this little Buddhist kid. Yeah. And that was all stuff from his book, which I have or I might still have, and it was just a fascinating read that I had to do for philosophy yeah. class in grad school. But yeah, there's a message in there, which which is blatantly obvious in the third one. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, come on. He's getting carried out dead in a Chrysler pose. Right. And I thought, I, I laughed out loud. I'm like, oh, come on, at that point right. in the movie. But I enjoyed all of them up until that scene. I'm like, oh, yeah. The second and third movies were weaker. Yeah. Significantly. I loved how gritty the second one got. Yeah. I missed the stylized stuff, but it had a mixture of the two that I was pretty good with, but it was weaker than the first. Yeah. The, the first, first one was, was good. Yeah. Like I said, there's a lot there that is applicable to a Christian life. Yeah. Because really, when in any of these forms, I feel like sometimes as believers, start to believe that oh sorry uh, <laughs> uh, the movie sorry okay sometimes as believers we start to believe that Christians are the only ones that ha that have the ownership of an authentic human experience wow and we kind of even say our love's real but your love's not you know what we experience is the is real life and, and your desires your likes your experiences your fears all of that's illegitimate it's all fake, you know. But that's not the case. I can read a love story from somebody that doesn't know God at all and go, man, I can see God's love in that because God's given that. We were created in his image. And even though you may not know God, I know that's from God. And I can glorify him in that even though you don't even know that that's from him. See, what's funny about that is, you know, this can go back to the technology thing. 
that same conversation could be had when Shakespeare writing his plays. Yeah. He had a better understanding of the Bible than most of the people that showed up watching his plays. Yeah. And you can see that clearly evident in everything he wrote. The conversations they'd have between priest and follower or the two you know, it was just mind blowing. Especially yeah. Romeo and Juliet, he said terrible is he said terrible love story. Yeah. <laughs> it's another conversation altogether. But his he was kind of spot on with some of the things they were talking about in the yeah. you know about biblical perspectives in there, and they had the exact same opinion of the stuff he was putting out that people today would have of you having a Netflix subscription. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And the only thing that's changed is the technology. Yeah, which is mind blowing and on both ends too because they didn't necessarily have. Bible yet in a way that the complete Bible and or the King they didn't have the King James version right. yet that didn't come until all of that was really in the infant stages of all being compiled and right and they were pretty much illiterate as a society right. and you know that was the reason why the uh, all the Catholic churches had stained glass windows yeah because they would tell the biblical story with pictures yeah and so that's you know and a lot of people don't know that yeah but they would tell their version of the biblical story with pictures. Right, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he, you know, and even those things were probably railed against at some point. Oh yeah, plays a, were. Yeah, plays mm, were yeah. stained glass windows, uh, artwork. Yeah. I mean, the Renaissance changed everything, right? So, but uh, it, the only thing that's changed, you know, it's funny the hundreds of years of Christian, thousands of years of Christianity and. And dealing with that and the worldly perspective, and the only thing that's changed, it's not the perspectives that have changed, but the technology. Yeah. It's just the same old argument, different day. Right. And I will say this, you know, about that. It changes the scenario only in terms of um, the danger of amount, you know, of quantity. Yeah. Know, where... And this is true in anything. A little of something that can be good doesn't mean a lot of it is good. <laughs> That's true. Like the, uh, for instance, books weren't prevalent, right? They right. were like a hot commodity, so anything was worth a lot. And he had people that would go, you know, like bards used to do singing songs. They would go from town to town reading from books. Right. And they'd make money off of that. And then that changed from that to... Look at that new Tom Hanks movie that just came out, the or on subscription service. Oh. Don't talk about his shortcomings. That's another thing altogether. Sure, yeah, yeah. But uh, it's called News of the World. Just Tom Westerns, kind of. But uh. <laughs> yeah, just you know, it's no. We won't say why he moved to Greece, right? Or yeah. speculate on that at yeah. all. No big deal. <laughs> no. But, uh, Great actor, though. My goodness, <laughs> is he ever? He really is. That movie. Uh, my my wife was impressed. She was actually shocked by how good Road to Perdition was. Yeah, that's such a heartbreaking movie. But yeah. my goodness, is it good? Yeah, and, and it's just like, could you imagine not doing that for your kid? Right. You know, it's like that that comes up, and you're like, yeah. In fact, I might have gone a little more over the edge. Yeah. You know, and it's right. like, no, you're not coming after my kid. The yeah. heck with you. Yeah. But uh, you know, and. I think he handled it every bit of the way I 
would have liked to have seen money sell him. You know, yeah. I wouldn't have been as smart about it though. I don't think because <laughs> in real life that guy goes ape and you know just doesn't think clearly and ends yeah. up dying anyway. Right. But uh, he came out with a movie called News of the World. It's a western. It's a western with Tom Hanks. I'm not into westerns. You lost me at westerns. That's hurtful. I'm from New York. Yeah. That would be the East. I know. Have you seen Gangs in New York? Yeah. That's a Western. You're right. It kind of is. And it is, honestly, here's the side of the thing. The setting affects me immediately. I don't like Westerns, and it has nothing to do with the story, the characters, the thing. I just don't want to see people on horses with cowboy hats in some dusty cliff. I don't want it. I don't know why. I don't like movies that take place on boats. Hunt for October, can't handle it. Really? Great movie, can't handle it. I don't want to watch you in a little submarine for... I don't want to do it. That's pretty still claustrophobic. I just don't like it. The Pirates of the Caribbean? It's too much on a boat. I can't. I don't want to watch people on boats. I like being on boats. I'm attracted to the spirit of that kind of movie. Yeah. And that's, that's what Westerns are. Westerns capture the American spirit better than any other genre out there. Look at all the things that make a Western. Right? You've got the freedom. You've got the wanting to carve out a new frontier. That's all new American ideals. That don't tell me what I'm going to do. I'm going to forge out for myself. That hadn't been done before in the history since since Babel. I mean... Yeah. I mean, we, we broke the mold, and and nothing has been the quintessential American movie more than Westerns. If you look for the last 150 years, what do people call Americans? Like like people talking about when it comes to war and all that stuff, cowboys. Yeah. That's West, they're, they're, we are still defined by that spirit. That's true. Yeah. Even if it's not true anymore. So it's, the westerns are the quintessential spirit of America movie. I wouldn't disagree. But you're not, you don't like them. Do I have to? Am I not okay? Yes. No. No, you don't have to, but you should, it, the, it should be an easily identifiable thing if you're American. The only cowboy I knew growing up was the naked cowboy. Yeah, I've heard of him. You know him? Yeah, I'm familiar with so that's that was my experience with cowboys. I thought cowboys were like a thing that didn't exist anymore. Well, they still do. And then I came to the realization that there still does. And then I later had to come to the realization that really they don't. I mean, there's some subsets here and there of yeah. actual cowboys. But then there's just a bunch of population of people that think they're cowboys. Right. You just have to look at Austin, As a Texas. Style. Austin, Texas. Which is weird to me. Half of them are just stylized Western folk. People walking around wearing cowboy boots, to me, is the same thing as if I just walked around wearing a welding boot for fun, for style. I won't wear I won't wear Why? camouflage clothes because that's not you know I don't I didn't do that. That would be dishonest. That you know that's like I think the only people I think veterans I you know in my mind veterans are the only ones that you know it should be acceptable to wear camouflage stuff in public. What about, like, because there's, there's obviously a military camouflage, and there's a country camouflage. It's a different style. Well, that's different, but still, there again, 
if that's not you, don't be wearing that. That's that's in my head. I'm not going to condemn people for it um, publicly. <laughs> uh, but there's going to be something in my mind. Like, there's going to be judgment that's going to be decided. <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't mean to. but you know, When I see somebody in the Wranglers and the cowboy hat and the cowboy boots, my first thought is, you are not cowboy. Yeah. And Unless they're really dirty. If they're really dirty and they're getting out of a truck that's not brand new lifted yeah. and it's a dirty, I go, okay. Right. And some 18-year-old kid in some, you know, 2020 lifted Chevy $50,000 truck. Or Ford pristine. Raptor. Right. And they got, you know, $150 <laughs> cowboy boots that have never had a speck of dirt on them. I don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. Bright, shiny buckle that they didn't get in a rodeo. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't get it. But that's people's culture. It's just not my culture. Right. But the idea behind... The Western is has been is been the best expression of the American spirit. Every Western I watch, I think this. Go back east. That looks terrible. <laughs> Have you seen Wagons East? No. You should. I've Is never it? seen one that I think, oh man, wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't it be cool to be on a horse and eat a lot of dust? And then the only town you see is dilapidated. <laughs> that was a John Candy movie where he played a, a drunken dude that was down on his luck, but he was a wagon master. Okay. So they hired him to go back east. And he's like, looking at him like, you know, so he, and it's a whole bunch of, oh, and Rich, Richard Lewis, I think. Uh, you know, he was one of those, the guy that was going like this all the time in the 90s. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's in that too, and uh, this other guy that played uh, that played the computer uh, in Star Trek Voyager with Seven of Nine. Okay, okay. Played the computer doctor. Yeah. He's in that too. That poor guy. Now that's a thing that's making fun of westerns. Now that I can get behind. You see, I saw what was this? Uh, a million ways to die in the West. Yep. That was hilarious. That was hilarious. I saw one that wasn't too long ago. I thought was really funny. Ballad of Ricky Skaggs. Or Buster. Buster. Buster, Buster Skaggs. What did I say? You said Larry, didn't you? I don't know what I said. Whoever, whoever I said wasn't the guy. That was amazing. That was that like was, three short ones. That was awesome. And then <laughs> Giant Franco. Yeah. I'm getting hung. First time. <laughs> like, I love that. <laughs> that was my favorite that line. That was great. And, yeah. And he's singing that song about the cowboy, and then it ends up being his turn. He's like, like accepting it. He's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I love that one, but like all of the old, you know, super gritty, serious, you know, whatever. Did you not enjoy the re remake of True Grit? Not a minute. That's one of my all-time favorite movies. The Coen Brothers did that movie right, and I told him um, I enjoyed it better than John Wayne's version. John Wayne won a Best Actor award. Yeah. I think Jeff Bridges was totally robbed because he he made that movie. It was his not, own. Not all John Wayne. <sighs> Damn, sorry. That was my grandpa's favorite actor. That's heresy. <laughs> That's it's just not my thing. Ah, uh, you know when he was directing Green Berets, 
he directed that movie, mm-hmm. or that Vietnam movie he was in. Yeah. He wanted to film it near the action. He was no. He was totally serious about it. He wanted it to be as authentic as possible. And he wanted to film it as close to the action as he could get. I think they were filming in South Vietnam, like yeah. super safe area, but he wanted up there, you know, where it looked way more realistic. Which they're not. You know what he said? I know, and you know why? You know why they should have. <laughs> the commander told him, "If I let you do that." And something happened to you, do you realize what would happen? Right. It's like there there would have been chaos. You would have had people taking a group of people going AWOL and trying to win the whole battle on their own. Yeah. There would have been yeah, we might have won it, but way more people would have died. Said the battle cry would have been like, remember John Wayne. Yeah. Well, isn't that indicative of a greater issue in which we were good with like a bunch of kids going to die for a war that we weren't even totally invested in we weren't even willing to call a war we weren't because politicians got involved in it but if some actor had died in it that would have been a, a big travesty well that's what pe- <laughs> well let people say uh they you say we sh- they uh i know how to win the war in afghanistan and war in the middle east it's like we just tell we just drop off a bunch of rednecks with a with a you know a couple of cases of Coors Light and uh, their gun racks in the back of their truck and you know their monster trucks and tell them that uh, tell them that these guys is, are responsible for the they hate the Bible and they're responsible for the death of John Wayne and the war would have been over in a couple of days. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's the same kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I think we solved all the problems today. Probably. I believe. I believe we did. Yeah, well, you know. But I would say this, in the, in the full spectrum of the conversation of media consumption, of what you're doing, of what you do, I would say this. The principles that, that the Bible gives in regards to that subject are, obviously, everything we do ought to be seasoned with grace. It is not... A, it's not a competition. It's not me lording over people. It's grace. It's grace for me. It's grace for you. You know, and that my actions ought to be those that are first and foremost not about me, but they're about your benefit and your good and others' good. What's the, what's good for my family? What's good for people? Not what I want to do or enjoy. And more than anything, is that what I do is to the glory of God. Technology and money aren't in themselves evil, but right. The use of them. The medium is just the medium. Yeah. Well, that's good. I'm happy with that. All right. Anything you want to say before we? Uh. Well, hopefully I won't mess up next time. <laughs> See? Okay. Whatever we said in the other portion, it didn't need to be said again. How things happen for a reason, I guess, huh? You know, know. <laughs> at this moment it works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, see, I, it's like the thing growing up, thinking the same way, and you know, that kind of it's hard to get out of. Yeah. All right. Well, we will see you next time. See you next time. Yeah. Yeah.
keep wanting to do this. You can do that solo, folks. But I don't want to get you can see the strike. Oh yeah, that's true. Is yeah. that copyrighted? I don't know. I'm not. Think. Might be in the public domain by now. I would think so. Elmer Fudd makes any sound won't own guns. What's was the point of their characters? Yeah. How was he hunting rat? Was he hunting rabbits then? I don't know. Is he not hunting rabbits? Maybe he's a it's coffee shop. It's the only thing owner. I know he ever said. <laughs> yeah. Be very, very quiet. You are hunting rabbits. And he was Sammy Sam. What's the, what's the point of either one of those characters without the rifle or gun? I don't know. Yeah. Even Winnie the Pooh had a gun. Yes. Had a cork at one end. Yeah. Yeah. And nobody would talk about how him eating too much honey was a bigger problem, but... It was a problem. Yeah. I mean, clearly, he did a whole episode of him being stuck in the his front door. He was a very sloppy, drunk-on-honey guy that never had any pants on. Think about it, dude. You were short. Well, you should have heard the AA. some of the things the author said. I'm going to look up some quotes from him sometime. Yeah. AA Milne. Yeah. Not the most guy you kind of a weird duck. Yeah. Reading kids' novels, kids' stories. You know, that goes with, like, what's his name, too? Uh, Roland Dahl or Ronald Dahl? Yeah, Roland Dahl. Yeah. R- yeah. Or. He was a weird one. You read, um, my kids love this stuff. Yeah. I love it too, actually. Sorry, Brian. Or, um, what's his name? He told one of his books was about his life. He wrote a, you know, kind of memoir type of biography. And he's been, he was through it. I mean, it was rough. Yeah. It was kind of, he has a dark look. I think it's called Boy or something like that. But There's one he had called Big. Yep. Yeah, he, or, um, what's his name that wrote Alice in Wonderland? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's why I you mentioned. See? It's contagious. It is. I do have the thing where, like, if somebody mentions something, I'm like, I knew it five minutes ago, I don't want to mention it. I don't want to. Yeah. You'd be like, hey, what's your wife's name? I'd be like, uh, uh. Yeah, I'll get back to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see? It's the same thing. You, you don't expect these things. <sighs> okay. Is that it? Did we stop? We should. We haven't stopped yet? I've, I have my button. If I take my finger off of the mouse button, it stops. 